When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Using free speech to free minds. You're listening to The David Knight Show. As the clock strikes 13, it's Friday the 29th of September, year of our Lord, 2023. Well, we've just gotten word that Dianne Feinstein has retired. We'll talk about that, but we're going to begin with what is happening with immigration and with crime in this country. We'll talk about what happens to people. Many people are asking what happens to Social Security if the government shuts down. We'll talk about that, but there's even a bigger issue that you should be concerned about with Social Security and how they are entrapping people with it. This massive bureaucracy that eventually comes back in a Kafkaesque way and hits you with bills of tens of thousands of dollars to the poor, to the disabled. We'll be right back. Stay with us. As I said, uh, Dianne Feinstein has just retired. But of course, as is going to be the case with all of these people in the gerontocracy, the rule by the elderly here, uh, she'll be carried out feet first. I said this for the longest time. Just like Darth Vader Ginsburg. You see, it's all about them. They're not there to serve the country. They're there to serve themselves and to get as much out of it as they can. It's about the power. It's about the money. As we've seen with Menendez, uh, as we have seen uh, his uh, buddy, Lindsey Graham, uh, defending Menendez in previous trials, you know, even Glitch McConnell, you know, he's not really freezing uh, there in many strokes. He's, he's not free. He's just uh, pausing to uh, pose for his eventual statue that's there. Uh, now, while these people fiddle around and fill their pockets, our country is burning down. So let's talk about what is happening. Even in Costa Rica, they've declared a state of emergency over the migrant crisis as it rocks the Americas, not just North America, Central America as well. Costa Rican President Chavez, not uh, Hugo, I don't think he's in relation to Hugo. Anyway, uh, 
who has passed on as well, uh, the way of all flesh, especially dictators. But he is talking about an emergency because these people are just passing through his country. They're not coming to stay. They're on their way to America. And so many people are on their way to America because of Biden's betrayal that he can't handle it in his own country. I've instructed the security ministry to take a firm stance with anyone who takes Costa Rica's kindness for weakness. Um, Well, what is happening in America is weakness. It's weakness from Biden. Following weakness from Trump. Trump, who said he was going to do all these things, he, he couldn't even, would not even get rid of the DACA executive order. He would not do anything to use the military that he is commander-in-chief of. He wouldn't bring the troops home and put them at the border. He wouldn't do anything. Well, let me ask the Supreme Court if I could. Oh, they said I can't do it, so I'm sorry. Sorry. Congress said I can't build a wall. Sorry. Yeah. What a fraud. Anyway, Chavez explained the tsunami of migrants is coming from Ecuador, Venezuela, Colombia, Haiti, Yemen, Bangladesh, China. Uh, They left out Africa. As they were going down the list, the one guy was asking everybody, you know, where are you from? A lot of people coming from Africa, from Senegal, other places like that. I mean, this is a global thing. These people will pony up money. If they don't have money, they'll sell themselves. That's a big part of the human trafficking issue. Just to get here to America, it's a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. And when they sell themselves to these uh, traffickers, uh, very horrible things happen to them. Um, many of them have been killed. Women have been raped. Children have been put into prostitution, all the rest of the stuff. Biden doesn't care. He doesn't care about any of that. And frankly, neither did Trump. Uh, since the beginning of the year, nearly 400,000 migrants have crossed the border from Panama into Costa Rica. Of course, going through the Darien Gap, as we have, uh, talked about many times. Um, <clears throat> and, um, we need to get, uh, Along back on, Jan, Jan uh, can't remember his name. Anyway, uh, we need to get him back on. Uh, Biden greenlighted uh, migrants worldwide in a June 20th statement that marked World Refugee Day. He said, welcoming refugees is part of who we are. And uh, as Americans, our nation was founded by those who were fleeing religious persecution. Well, he welcomes everybody except uh, those who are fleeing religious persecution in Germany who are Christian homeschoolers. He wants to get them out. The only people I see being kicked out. Everybody else is catch and release. The Border Patrol is upset about it, many of them. Uh, But he's going to catch these Christian homeschoolers from Germany, send them back. They really are here as refugees. They really are here for religious persecution. But they're the wrong demographic. It's not just single men coming in at the age of, uh, you know, 25 or 35. Uh, It's not somebody coming in from the third world. Uh, This is a family, Christian family. Got to get rid of them. Don't want any of that around here. We don't want any uh, any of these homeschoolers or Christians who are going to uh, put up a fight with the government. As a matter of fact, you had Gavin Newsom grabbing nuisance Went to the Republican debate. Not really a debate. I mean, it's just pathetic if, you, if you've seen this. I mean, the one clip I saw, I'm not going to even play it, but it was so pathetic 
you had, I think it was Dana Perino that said, all right, well, you know, the problem is, is that, you know, Trump's got this big lead on all of you. And there isn't going to be anybody's going to catch him as long as you're splitting the rest of the vote uh, between the six or seven of you. So you got to vote somebody off the island. So we're going to give you 15 seconds here. And I want you to write down a sheet of paper who you would vote off the island. DeSantis says, are you kidding me? Uh, we're not doing that. That's very disrespectful to us. We came here to debate politics. Ask us some serious questions. And of course she doesn't. She doesn't. This is coming from Fox News. What a bunch of idiots. Um, anyway, he said, this is very disrespectful to me and everybody else here on the platform. And the audience broke into applause. People are sick of these debates. Fox News can't even sell commercial time on it. You know, they were slashing their, their ad rates. You know, they had to call up Pfizer and tell them to put some <laughs> stuff in the pot, you know. But uh, everybody is sick of this stuff. There's never any substance to it, uh, even for the politicians. The politicians try to uh, get onto something of substance, and they shut them down. Uh, so what does this look like for Americans? Well, we've got a 95-year-old veteran of the Korean War kicked out of a nursing home to make way for illegal aliens. And the latest slap in the face to Americans, writes Western Journal, 95-year-old Korean War veteran Frank Tamaro was kicked out of his nursing home so the facility can house illegal aliens. He said, I thought my suitcases were going to be on the curb, and if it wasn't for my daughter, they would have been on the curb. Uh, we have no respect for Americans. It's Americans last. They always, you know, when they took so much exception to the idea that we would have America first. Well, that means they want America last. <laughs> <laughs> or somebody else in first place. And uh, there in New York City, uh, newly risen Freemason master, Eric Adams, <laughs> just the governor's mansion, that's what he was working on last week, had all of his pals from the police department in, and they're, you know, doing their secret handshakes and special ceremonies and whatever else they're doing. And uh, uh, somebody put it up on Facebook because he didn't want to talk about it in the official schedule. Anyway, Eric Adams admits that the deluge of more than 110,000 illegal aliens will destroy New York City, as I said. In that report, going down the line, people are coming from every country on Earth, every third world country on Earth. And uh, they ask him, where are you going? And virtually every single one of them said New York City. They may not stay in New York City, but they're going to go to New York City. Adams said, never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to, and I don't see an ending to this. Well, the only way, I don't know how we're going to end it. You know, getting rid of Biden is not going to end it. Putting Trump in is not going to end it. It didn't end it before. Uh, we have had this ongoing thing again. You know, they brought it back up again in uh, the debate at the Reagan Library. Reagan gave amnesty people who were here illegally. And then they said, we're going to tighten down on this. We, we got my entire life. I've been watching this fraud from politicians. Uh, the Democrats say, we don't want to fix immigration. The Republicans say, we're going to fix immigration. And it just keeps getting worse and worse, regardless who is in. And now it is a global program. This is not just America. This is everywhere, as we see in Europe. They want to bring in the third world to destroy sufficient numbers. This is not about the, you know, the people that are in these other countries 
Uh, it's just that there's so many of them and they're poor and they don't have a way to live and they have a different language and a different culture. And it was kind of interesting. There was a, 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 you know, one of the replies to this was in the Atlantic, that globalist establishment uh, rag. They said, well, you know, uh, they began an article with a, a quote about the Tower of Babel. And they said, maybe we just need to build a, their city. Now, I, I did not read the entire article. Maybe they tied it back together with the fact that, you know, as, as they, out of their pride, were going to um, uh, build a, a city that was going to, you know, do whatever they wanted. You know, we, we can do whatever we wish because we've got technology, right? That's the lesson. And God struck them, and they all began speaking different languages. And, you know, we do have um, anthropological confirmation of that, really. They all talk about uh, the plain of Shinar and all that area there as a cradle of civilization. They all say that, you know, we had these major civilizations that all sprung up at the same time in India, in China. What, what's going on with that? And in Europe, we had all these different civilizations that just started all at once. They don't have an explanation for that. They don't have an explanation for the similarity in different languages either. You know, every language, uh, the mother is mama, every language. And <clears throat> pretty close to it for the father. Uh, Papa or Baba, uh, that's what uh, our adopted daughter called me, was Baba. But it was Mama. You know, she was telling everybody, I've got a Mama, you know, when we picked her up. But uh, so there's certain things like that. When you look at the Chinese characters, it goes back to Genesis. The pictures that they have <clears throat> of different things go back to Genesis. But Anyway, the, the story of uh, the Tower of Babel, I think what you know, they're doing is um, we're, <laughs> we're getting babelized here. <laughs> uh, you're creating confusion deliberately. And uh, <clears throat> these people see themselves as God, and they want to create confusion and strife by bringing in people of different tongues and different tribes and cultures, essentially. You know, a tribe is a culture. Uh, and erasing national borders, uh, it is a prescription for uh, chaos, which is what they want to do. You know, at the, at the time God did that, everybody had the good sense to uh, go off on their own to another place. <laughs> they realized they couldn't get together. Uh, but these people are trying to force this everywhere. Again, because they want chaos. Well, we have an update to the other chaos that is happening with the Soros district attorneys. Uh, you remember yesterday I played that uh, influencer who calls herself Meatball, who was uh, very happy to film Philadelphia being looted. Uh, here's a short part of that clip. Oh, that's the wrong one. Let's see. Where is it? Um, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, Meatball <laughs> yesterday sewing, and uh, today she is reaping, uh, and she is weeping as she's reaping. There we go. There's the clip. Thank you. Well, today she's eating those words, <clears throat> and uh, she's been charged with six felonies and several misdemeanors on the basis of that. 
Uh, she said other things besides everybody must eat. She said, tell the police they're either going to lock me up tonight or it's going to get lit. It's going to be a movie. Well, they didn't lock her up that night. They just locked her up the next day. <laughs> well, they did lock her up. Uh, this is what happened. She said, when we don't get justice in this city and, um, then people breaking into the Apple store and screaming, uh, free iPhones, free iPhones. Get your Obama phone right here. <laughs> Call her the Obama phone lady. Uh, on uh, Wednesday, she was handed eight separate charges, including six felonies stemming from her involvement with the looting. She's been charged with burglary, criminal trespassing, conspiracy. Conspiracy. They always see these people, the biggest conspiracy theorists. Everybody gets a charge of conspiracy. Except for Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, there's nobody else that they've ever come against except for Lee Harvey Oswald that they don't think was involved in a conspiracy. Uh, criminal mischief, riot with intent to commit a felony, and criminal use of a communication facility. <laughs> or phone? I don't know. Is that what that was? They also gave her two misdemeanors, property and hazardous conditions or physically offensive. Is that a reference to her appearance? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, the Soros DA, besides uh, uh, arresting her, has now brought charges again against the police officer that the uh, judge said that there's not, this person should not even be charged. And that was the excuse, and I say as, as an excuse that it does not um, justify any of it. Uh, these people were looking for an excuse to steal, and they did that. Whether or not this cop is guilty, they used this as an excuse to loot. During the Tuesday hearing on the initial case, Judge Wendy Pugh ruled that there wasn't enough evidence to convict uh, the police officer, Dial, of the uh, death of Arizari after viewing footage. They said uh, that he had acted in self-defense. His lawyer said he is firing while trying to take cover, arguing that his client was afraid for his life and that the charges shouldn't have been brought forth in the first place. Every tragedy, he said, is not a crime. The judge replied, I agree with you 100%. Uh, dropped the charges and scolded the district attorney for bringing them in the first place. In body camera footage, however, Dial was seen approaching a stopped vehicle in a police vehicle before getting out. A voice is heard telling the driver, I will effing shoot you. Then at least six shots were fired into the side of the car with police pulling him, uh, Irizari, out of the vehicle and then taking him to the hospital in a police vehicle. Authorities said the incident occurred after officers spotted a car Driving erratically around noon on August the 14th, the officers followed the vehicle for several blocks. The department initially claimed that the officers made a traffic stop and shot a person outside the vehicle after he lunged at them with a knife. But then they backtracked on those claims when body camera footage showed the driver holding a knife by his leg. I'll just say this, regardless of what happens with this um, shooting by the police officers, uh, this is, uh, looting is not a response. <clears throat> Burning the city down is not a response. Uh, but they are saying, well, we have an excuse to do all this stuff because uh, we don't like what the police did.
Uh, in uh, Congress, we had nearly a unanimous vote to shut down Biden's feeble attempt to try to stop any uh, training of any gun training at all in schools. Uh, 424 to 1. All Democrats except for one joined with Republicans to kill uh, the plan by Biden to crack down on all hunting and even archery classes. I mean, they want to take us back to the Middle Ages, folks. They, you know, back in the Middle Ages, they banned crossbows. I guess that's where Biden uh, uh, thinks uh, this, this should go. Um, it redefined a 2022 gun control bill and Biden's attempt to strip funding from schools that have been that have hunting and archery programs. And not necessarily even, um, you know, doing firearms in school like they used to do. Um, you know, RFK Jr. even said, hey, when I was a kid, people brought their their guns to school. Uh, for marksmanship and other other classes that they have. But I don't know that was even happening there. But notice what they're doing, taking the funding away from the schools. Uh, you don't put uh, boys in the girls' bathroom? Well, we're going to take away your funding. Uh, if you have hunting and archery programs, they're going to take away your funding. Everything that they do, they reward you if you do what they want with the money that they just create out of thin air. And if you don't do what they want, then they take that money that they have now um, gotten you dependent upon, they take that away. And I kept, you know, I want to get that across to people because that's the way the government always does it. It doesn't matter if it's Biden or if it's Trump. And that was what Trump was doing in 2020, and people couldn't understand that. I had people furious with me all year because I said, what's well, Trump's fault? Well, it's Fauci is doing. He put Fauci there. He left Fauci there. It's the Democrat governors. He paid the Democrat governors and the Republican governors to do all this stuff. It all started with him. He's responsible. Buck stops with him and the money, that kind of buck, began with him. Only a single Texas Democrat uh, voted against this uh, Protecting Hunting Heritage and Education Act, and that was Veronica Escobar in Texas, the only opposition to this entire uh, thing. So uh, be interesting to see what happens to her in Texas. Uh, what is going on with our schools, though? Right? Uh, people are hunting around to find out what the issue there is because it seems like our kids just can't hit the target. Right? <laughs> they need some more archery practice. In Baltimore, 13 high schools produced not a single student amongst the entire population of 13 schools, and that's 40% of the Baltimore school district. 40% of them, 13 high schools, don't have a single student who is proficient in math. Can't pass the math exams. And they're spending $31,000 per student per year. Now, Biden wants to defund the hunting and archery programs. I want to defund the entire schools. Everywhere, everywhere. Uh, education. Uh, school is not an education. School is not the same thing as education. We need to understand these are different things. Uh, the schools are an institution, and education is something completely different. And the teachers who are teaching in the schools now would still be needed if we restructure these things and get the government out of that business. And they need to be out of that business. So 40% of the schools, um, the high schools, don't have a single person who is proficient in math, and they're spending $31,000 per child. Do you realize what this does to the American dream? 
It's one of the reasons why people don't talk about that when they talk about how unaffordable houses are. And of course, a big part of the unaffordability of houses is the fact that inflation is going, wages are not keeping up with it. It's also due to all of the mandated things. You know, even when you adjust for inflation, houses cost several, several times what they used to cost because there's so many different mandates there from the government, just like cars. Cars have increased at a rate faster than the rate of inflation, and so have houses. Houses even more so, actually. And, um, and yet, um, a big part of the cost, which nobody wants to talk about, are the schools. In Texas, where we were, um, many schools that almost the entire population were illegal aliens who came across to get educated for free. Uh, you know, the they called them dreamers. And I said for the longest time, well, that's great. They've got a dream. Americans used to have a dream. Americans used to have a dream of owning a home. Americans used to have a dream of living in something that wasn't like a four by four box, which is what they're talking about in California. You know, this is something that was put up, uh, you know, the house prices are so expensive in California. Now we're going to shrink you down to not even 200 square feet. Uh, this is going to just be bunk beds and, uh, they're going to have a, you know, like a sleeper car on a train or something. And then some common areas. And it costs you about $1,000 a month in California. So the government is making people homeless. The government is inflating the cost through regulation. The government is inflating the cost through taxes to support the schools and bringing in an endless number of people. If we're going to have dreamers that come here for an education, then you can kiss the American dream goodbye. And I've been saying this for decades. Um, anyway, uh, students at 13 high schools failed it, not a single student. Uh, and, uh, so we're not getting our money's worth, right? What is it that they're teaching them besides math? I can't even imagine. Uh, going to California school district, uh, has solved the problem. They are going to achieve equity, equity by getting rid of honor courses. We've got to dumb everybody down to the same lowest level. Idiocracy, deliberately dumbing down Americans. That's what the institution of schooling is all about. Defund the schools. A San Francisco Bay Area high school district is considering moving honor classes for high school students in an effort to streamline its courses and to provide equity. A move that has sparked concern among students, parents, and teachers. Uh, yeah, well, <clears throat> I thought the honors classes were a joke anyway. Um, uh, school was a joke when I was there 60 years ago. Uh, so uh, it's only gotten worse. Well, we're going to take a break. and we come back, we're going to talk about what's going to happen with Social Security if they shut things down. We're also going to talk about a trap that Social Security has put out there for people. Uh, we'll be right back. common man. They created common core to dumb down our children. They created common past to track and control us. Their commons project to make sure the commoners own nothing and the communist future. They see the common man as simple, unsophisticated, ordinary. But each of us has worth and dignity created in the image of God. That is what we have in common. That is what they want to take away. 
Their most powerful weapons are isolation, deception, intimidation. They desire to know everything about us while they hide everything from us. It's time to turn that around and expose what they want to hide. Please share the information and links you'll find at thedavidnightshow.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you can't support us financially, please keep us in your prayers. TheDavidKnightShow.com About uh, what happens in Social Security. If the government shuts down tomorrow afternoon, the looming government shutdown has some Americans worried about what will happen to that. Uh, the deadline again tomorrow, if they don't pass uh, what they need to do to keep this going, a continuing resolution, the government will shut down. And a lot of people, uh, disability lawyers and others, are getting uh, calls from people who are concerned. Uh, some operations might be affected by the government shutdown if you're trying to register or change something for Social Security. But the checks that are, are going to be in the mail, as they say, <laughs> you always count on the government, um, right? Social Security benefits are considered to be mandatory spending and are paid from the program's trust fund. <laughs> no trust fund. Uh, anyway, uh, therefore, the agency <laughs> has the funds to continue paying benefits. Uh, they will do it because they don't want the civil unrest. But let me tell you, be careful about the government. You know, it's a, I understand people. Uh, need this, uh, but um, you know the analogy of the uh, the cane that you lean on breaking and piercing your hand. Well, that really is true with uh, Social Security. Raybo's ghost uh, sent this to me, and um, this is a mainstream article actually talking about uh, what happens with um, some people that are it's like a rope a dope. Social Security is overpaying billions to people. And then demanding the money back. You know, I had a situation like this happen with um, uh, with my income taxes. And it's like, wait a minute. Wait, why are they sending me all this money back? And uh, you know, no explanation. They send you a check. Put it there. But it's like, there's something wrong with this. And sure enough, about a month, within a month, they came back and said, we sent that to you by mistake. You need to send it back to us. And oh, by the way. You got to pay us interest on this. It's like, what's what is this about? You know, and and I was able to pay that back, but that's not the case with these uh, people on Social Security. They're poor, they're disabled, and they aren't catching this for years. And then they're coming back to them and saying, uh, for years we've been paying you money that we should not have been paying you, and they get bills that are tens of thousands of dollars. Justina Worrell, forty-seven, works part time as a kitchen helper. In a nursing home, she has cerebral palsy, an intellectual disability, and a cardiac condition that requires that she got an artificial heart valve at age 20. A year ago, she was earning $862 a month and receiving about $1,000 in monthly Social Security disability benefits. When a letter arrived from the federal government, the Social Security Administration had been overpaying her, they said. Yeah. Um, uh, $1,000 a month, that was overpayment. Uh, within 30 days, it said she should mail the government a check or a money order 
for $60,175.90. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me just call my broker and have him sell uh, some stock here. All right. The Social Security should be there to help people, not to destroy them, said her aunt and caregiver. The Social Security Administration is trying to claim, reclaim billions of dollars from many of the nation's poorest and most vulnerable. Payments that it sent to them, but now says that it never should have received. And there's a metaphor in this, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, payback is always tough from the government. Whether it is money that they give you during the pandemic and they spend trillions of dollars, lots of crony capitalism, you know, tens of billions of dollars to the pharmaceutical companies, hundreds of billions of dollars to their friends and fraud. But we have to wind up paying that back, don't we? During the 2022 fiscal year, the agency clawed back $4.7 billion of overpayments, mostly from the poor and disabled. They can afford it, right? Um, one consequence is a costly collection effort for the government and a potentially devastating ordeal for the beneficiary. We have an overpayment crisis on our hands, said uh, a senior fellow at the Century Foundation think tank. That's one way to put it, I guess. The agency declined to say how many people have been asked to repay overpayments, but they result from a lot of different things, you know, just like the income tax or anything else that the government does. It's this Byzantine network of rules and things that's very complicated. So it's very difficult to follow. And it's not clear. It's not clear to Social Security. It's not clear to the people, right? Just like the IRS. Uh, you know, one of the things I always talk about when I talk about the IRS and the tax code, um, and I forget who said it, and they said, uh, a law that is sufficiently complex is the same as no law at all. Because now it's up to the subjective interpretation of whoever you get to, whoever is going to be working on your case. So it's very complex. It's difficult to follow. It limits uh, limits on what beneficiaries can save or can own have not been adjusted for inflation in decades. And so some people who have just a minor insurance policy of $4,000, that technically kicked them out of all the stuff to have to repay back tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, the um, uh, Social Security Administration doesn't have adequate staffing. You see, whenever they fail, these government bureaucracies say, well, we got to have more people. That's a problem. We just don't have enough bureaucrats. Isn't that always the case? <laughs> the answer is always to hire more people for their little bureaucratic empire. And the system has built-in lags in checking information about beneficiaries' income. So, you know, they might not catch up to this for many, many years, which is what the case is for most of these people. It tracks its overpayments through quarterly payment integrity scorecards. Most recent scorecard for one Social Security program, the agency said, $265 million worth of overpayments in 2022. Uh, all of that was within the agency's control. In other words, the agency blamed itself. But hey, they can make the mistake. You'll pay for their mistake. And the answer is you got to have more of them. You need more people like this, more rules, more regulations, a bigger welfare state, all of that. You know, I wonder if when we had a society where people came together and helped the poor and disabled among them, 
through volunteer organizations, through churches and things like that. You know, there's still a bit of that in America when a disaster happens. And that was what my, my son did uh, uh, a report on when he was in high school. You know, we looked at a big disaster on the coast, a hurricane coming in. What did FEMA do? It was horrible what they did to the people, just like what you're seeing now and, um, in Hawaii. This is 15 years ago he did the report. And, um, and yet, in, a, in our area, a tornado came through, did a lot of devastation, uh, destroyed a lot of homes, took down a lot of power lines. You had the police come out, the sheriff's department uh, came out, kept people away from the down-powered lines. You had businesses donate food and other supplies. They took them to church parking lots, and the people at the churches showed up and handed out the stuff and distributed it. You see, we still have the ability to do stuff like that. That uh, de Tocqueville America is not dead. It's just smothered with a welfare state where everybody thinks, well, the government's got this taken care of. I don't have to do it. And yet nobody goes back and uh, claws back this stuff when you have it. Um, you know, you don't have that kind of waste, fraud, and abuse that you do with a welfare state when it's being handled by people who are there in the community. They know who needs it and they know who doesn't need it. And you know, that's a double edged tragedy with a welfare state. People who need it don't get it. People who don't need it get it. Uh, that doesn't happen if we hadn't been doing this through Washington. But again, Washington can just create money out of thin air and it has made us all dependent on it. And then as we lean on that cane, it breaks and pierces our hand. This is just one more example of it, a really bad example of it. In 2021, more than 7% of the program's outlays were overpayments. Wow. You got about a 10% chance of um, getting a back bill on this. Some overpayments involve the disability insurance program, which assists disabled workers and their dependents. Lori Cochran, a beneficiary disabled by multiple sclerosis, said she got tripped up by life insurance policy, took over from her mother. Uh, after she reviewed her finances with a Social Security representative, she received a letter saying that she owed $27,000. She said, I started having heart palpitations, she said. She said she didn't know that the insurance policy had a cash value of $4,000. Like I said, they have not adjusted uh, these uh, amounts. So it's like, oh, well, you got to you got a big uh, insurance policy here, $4,000. That means you don't get any Social Security benefits that we've been paying you. And we've been doing that for years. So send us back $27,000. The agency told her that for every month that she had held the policy, she was not entitled to her $914 a month benefit. The agency said it would recoup the $27,000 by deducting $91.40 from each of her future checks. She said at that rate, she'd be paying it back way into my elderly age. So she asked uh, the Social Security Administration to reconsider. In the meantime, she said she cashed out the life insurance policy, only to learn that instead she could have signed a paper saying that she had no intention of cashing it out. They don't even tell her that. Again, it's all these technicalities. She said, so now I'm left with no life insurance. And there's not even enough money there for my daughter to bury me. She will have to take out a loan in order to bury me. 
another beneficiary named Lori, described her journey through the minefield on the condition that her last name be withheld. In 2017, they informed her that since 2000, she had been overpaid $126. Uh, I'm sorry, $126,000 collectively. Uh, I almost threw up when I opened that letter, she said. My husband and I were like uh, frantic, she said. After six years of battling Social Security, including multiple appeals, she finally prevailed. Uh, she had spent her benefit money in the belief that she was entitled to it, the judge wrote, and requiring repayment would be against equity and good conscience. But again, that's just the luck of the draw. And it took her six years to get to the obvious conclusion. In 2018, Matt Cooper was shot in the face while working as a police officer. He and his wife and their kids were on Social Security payments, and they did the same thing to them. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it just, you know, everywhere you look, this is happening to people. So while they're doing that to Americans, uh, the migrants that are coming in are getting, in many cases, first-class treatment. You kick out that veteran who's 94 years old. Kick him out of the nursing home so we can put uh, people who are here illegally, who have absolutely no respect for this country or its laws. And in the UK, same type of thing. UK government contracts stipulates that migrants have to stay in hotels with three or more stars. Three-star three hotel or more, or more. That's reported by the UK Telegraph. Uh, they said uh, contractors who are housing the so-called small boat migrants, uh, they need to be housed with a minimum of three-star accommodations. And this is already costing the UK $10 million per day, per day. It is totally unacceptable that too many towns and cities around the country now house the 45,000 asylum seekers who are in hotels. It's not right that British taxpayers should have to fork over this cost. According to the numbers, Afghanis represent the largest number of asylum seekers in 2023. Uh, 3,326, another roughly 3,000 applications came from Iran, with India, Bangladesh, and Pakistan trailing behind them. However, in 2022, the group that was the largest group were Albanians coming in across the English Channel. So they're coming in from everywhere. Again, this is a, a, a global movement to take down nations and culture and uh, to do all of this um, via groups that don't even speak each other's language. Uh, so this um, article from Reason talking about the shutdown happening tomorrow. And they uh, have a brief moment of excitement as they contemplate shutting the government down. And then it's like, well, no, actually, it's not going to really shut down. At midnight on Saturday, the fiscal year ends in Congress. If it's not passed, a continuing resolution will have to do something to stop the spending. So the person says, so what? What's wrong with a government shutdown? This whole fight is about more than just McCarthy keeping his job. People ostensibly depend on the federal government to provide services that matter to them, or so the argument goes. Of course, a government shutdown doesn't actually mean that the federal government will grind to a halt, and the person at reason says, be still, my heart. <laughs> Don't get your excitement up. They're not really going to shut down the federal government. Instead, services that are deemed non-essential are suspended, uh, like FDA inspections. 
Uh, are they doing any testing of drugs? I, I kind of missed that. If the FDA is even down, <laughs> they shut this thing down preemptively, didn't they? With uh, Trump, uh, they said um, services that are considered essential, like air traffic control, border protection, border protection. Who in the Biden administration thinks that border protection is essential? Uh, they pretend to think that's essential uh, with the uh, Trump administration, but they didn't think it's so either. Anyway, they said that uh, people who are furloughed uh, will get furloughed temporarily, and then they'll get their back pay later, uh, get a paid vacation. In fact, uh, says reason I have some candidates for agencies that we could shutter forever. The TSA, with its 80 to 95% failure rate at detecting explosives and weapons, would be a great start. And see, look, I just saved the government $10 billion annually right there, he says. Maybe the EPA, which keeps trying to regulate carbon emissions and power plants to no effect and which stands in the way of controlled burns. Oh, there you go. Save another $10 billion. Uh, of course, you know, it's going to get a lot more expensive with the IRS. Um, we could, uh, yeah, they're, they're, again, EPA, $10 billion. TSA, $10 billion. The IRS, $13 billion, except that the Democrats, wanted to, Biden wanted to give them another $80 billion increase. And those tight-fisted Republicans only said $60 billion increase. They only want it five times bigger than it currently is. I tell you, that is, um, that is something that is waiting to explode on us. You want to know how they're going to make sure that we all own nothing? Take a look at that army of IRS agents that... The Republicans and Biden have are about to unleash on us, going over everything with a fine-tooth comb, uh, using AI technology, using everything else. Well, they're going to be coming for us. For the first time in 13 years, the Federal Reserve is cutting jobs. Uh, it's lost $100 billion. <laughs> Even the Federal Reserve is losing money in the federal government. At a time when the mainstream economists and uh, Federal Open Market uh, Committee policymakers are betting the farm on a soft landing, uh, it looks like an unexpectedly hard signal has just been issued from none other than the Fed itself. For the first time in over a decade, the central bank announced that it will cut about 300 people from its payroll this year, a rare reduction in headcount of an, an organization that has grown steadily since 2010. As a matter of fact, um, uh, it had fallen in 2010, and uh, but it has been able to get back up. Um, if you look at uh, their uh, their employment charts, you see that it took a dip down in 2010, but then it rapidly expanded back up, uh, just like they rapidly uh, expanded everything else in the economy. The um, the central bank earns uh, roughly $7.5 trillion uh, from its $7.5 trillion portfolio of bonds and mortgage-backed securities. That's where it gets its money. But as they have uh, raised rates, it has hurt them. Unlike federal agencies that spend tax dollars allocated by Congress, the Fed is self-funding because it is private. I should put that in there. Its earnings from its asset holdings and its fees charged to banks for a range of services are used to pay the roughly $6.3 billion in annual expenses of a system that employs nearly 24,000 people in Washington and other cities across the country. Uh, that's a pretty high average payroll, probably skewed to the top. Uh, but uh, since the creation, um, since the federal uh, bank, Federal Reserve began to increase interest rates 
It has been spending more than it earns each year. And it gives the Treasury an IOU to be paid later. Isn't that nice? Just kick it down the road. Uh, more recently, the Fed was paying out over $700 million each day between interest paid on reverse repo and reserves. And when did all this start? Yeah, you know, back in 2019, they started doing this repo market stuff uh, while Trump was president. Republicans in Congress who have expressed concern about how deeply the Fed is delving into other issues like climate change and the economics of inequality said that it seems like the Fed is going beyond its monetary policy and its bank supervisory missions. Of course, there's nothing in this article from Zero Hedge or the, nothing in uh, no, no concerns from Republicans except for a few like Tom Emmer who want to talk about uh, why is it the, um, uh, the mission of the Federal Reserve to try to control us with a central bank digital currency. That's the elephant in the room that very few people want to talk about. And, of course, they're not going to bring it up on a Fox News debate. Uh, the number of system-wide jobs that the Fed have been following um, from just shy of, 24, shy of 24,000 as of 2003 down to 19,700 in 2010, but it's now gotten back up there. Uh, they've unleashed the biggest balance sheet expansion of monetary experiment in history. Uh, so, again, um, before we go to break, just think about the fact that uh, do you really want to use this system managed by these people as a store of your wealth? <laughs> or would you rather have it in something like gold and silver? Uh, again, uh, davidknight.gold is what Tony Arderman has set up, and I'll take you to wisewolf.gold and um, let him know you came through this. Uh, but uh, he's got all kinds of things there to, to help you as a community. And that's the key thing that we we're talking about yesterday. You know, it's the gold demand. People are starting to see this gold demand, even though the price is being um, suppressed by market manipulations. Uh, they can't keep it in stock at Costco. And they're not even, they don't even have a good price on it. It's just people don't know where to go. And Costco doesn't give you any information at all. Tony has set up a community there with Wolfpack and with other things. And of course, Tony is always happy to uh, spend time talking to you. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back.
You're listening to The David Knight Show. He's pounding down, loading up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm East Pound, just like a bandit run. Keep your foot hard on the pedal. Some devil mind them brakes. Let it all hang out, cause we got a run to make. The boys are thirsty in Atlanta, and there's beer in Texarkana. And we'll bring it back no matter what it takes. He's pounding down, loaded up and trucking. Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound, just watch your bandit run. Oh, yeah, that's always fun. And of course, uh, you know, that Trans Am makes me think uh, Eric is gonna be joining us. Eric Peters is gonna be joining us in the third hour. He's got a Trans Am himself, one of the classics. Uh, he's gonna be talking about that and some other things. Uh, is, uh, he's got a great article. Uh, was Pontiac racist? <laughs> we'll talk about that when he comes on and uh, i wanted to talk about trucking by the way that's why i brought that in i want to talk about the other aspect of this and that is the uh, tractor trailer that you see there um but um harps had a great comment <laughs> i began the program talking about diane feinstein's retirement also known as uh, for senators that's known as death uh, he said so i wonder whom diane feinstein will be voting for in 2024 <laughs> Or will she nominate herself for president? Well, we have uh, somebody there who's uh, just about in the same situation as Diane, mentally uh, dead. Uh, so anyway, um, good good comment, Harps. I like that. And I want to thank some of the people before we get into this. Uh, some of the people have left tips um, on Rockfin. Uh, thank you very much, Eric. Appreciate that. And Doug Alug and Angus Mustang. And Angus says, if our government shuts down, who will funnel money to Ukraine? Well, you know, we just had Zelensky here. I guess he was, you know, loading up his uh, private jet uh, with gold bars and stacks of cash to take back uh, just in case. Uh, I don't know. And also on Rockfin, uh, James, thank you very much for the tip. Um, and uh, there's a comment coming in from uh, Steve Swan here. Trans Am should be the only trans. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about transportation, and this is not about uh, gender swapping here. Uh, a, a person on the American Institute for Economic Research, Christopher Wilcox, wrote this. He says, um, uh, why I'm leaving the long-haul industry. He says, truck this. I've been a truck driver for over 20 years. I suppose I always knew I would be. Ever since that career day in third grade, when among the kids dressed like doctors and baseball players, there I stood dressed like Jerry Reed from Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> it was pop culture in the 80s, painted the picture of truck drivers as rugged men, wild and free, burdened by nothing except their own wanderlust. That romanticized version of the American truck driver still lingers in the back of my mind, but in recent years, the government uh, burden of regulation has proved to be greater than my desire to see what's over the next hill. Oppressive regulation in the trucking industry has been around almost uh, as long as the iconic chrome bulldog on the hood of Mack trucks. Going back to FDR, the Federal Motor Carrier Act of 1935, 
gave us the Interstate Commerce Commission, the ICC, an agency that was um, didn't give it to us, but it uh, gave them the authority to regulate tractor trailers that were set up to regulate railroads. Now, he doesn't mention this, but, you know, when I look at this and think about it, you know, railroads were famous for crony capitalism, the robber barons and everything, right? A great example of crony capitalism, of regulatory capture, of just corruption. And so, what do you think was going to happen when they take that organization that was running that corrupt aspect of the railroads and put them in charge of tractor trailers? He said the ICC ultimately decided which companies could haul certain goods, for whom they could haul them, where they could go, and what they could charge. They even decided if new transportation companies could enter the market by requiring eager upstarts to prove that their services were quote-unquote needed. You know, this is one of my first exposures to regulatory capture, not as a truck driver or anything like that, but as a shipper. Um, My father's business, which also has been regulated out of business by the federal government's regulations, uh, but at the time, I, you know, I used to, I, summers I would work there from the time I was in, it was either second or third grade, uh, summers I would um, uh, work um, at my dad's business, and most of the stuff that they did was shipped. And my dad was always, I'll just drop a name here, Central Trucking. I don't know if they even exist anymore, but they were the bane of his existence. He hated them as much as he hated the ATF because the ATF was regulating them on alcohol that they use for perfume and things like that. Um, the two things that were, <laughs> I think back to uh, a Christmas story. You know, we have the, <laughs> the dad when he's wrestling with the furnace. And like, rawr, rawr, rawr. <laughs> those stuff. Well, those were, those are curse words in our house. Uh, the ATF and uh, central trucking. <laughs> And he was forced to use them to ship to certain states. They had a monopoly that was given to them by the ICC. I wonder how they got that monopoly. Uh, But uh, again, you couldn't ship except by them to those particular places. He said the only exemptions to these laws were the agricultural sector. FDR and his horde of central planners didn't want to cause an increase in the price of food at a time when Americans were already struggling to put food on the table. He said, never mind the tacit admission that the FMCA would raise prices on all other goods. (laughs) Well, we know this is going to raise the price on everything, so let's not do it for food. This exemption had its own unintended consequences. While independent drivers, commonly referred to as wildcatters and driver's slang, were not subject to the price floors previously mentioned, they were limited to hauling only agricultural goods. This limitation caused a significant logistical dilemma for wildcatters who are delivering in industrialized parts of the country and is largely responsible for the mythos of the outlaw trucker that we all know today from film and from music. Uh, The cesspool of cronyism and perverse incentives created by FDR was substantially reined in uh, with the FMCA of 1980. This is why we now see hundreds, if not thousands, of company names sprawled along the sides of the 53-foot trailers. Granted, we still have the ICC, though today it is known as the Department of Transportation. And any truck driver that has had to spend 10 hours at a scale house without a shower or a hot meal 
over a minor infraction of hours of service rules will remind you that they are still quite burdensome. Unfortunately, the federal government continues its misguided attempts to control an industry regulators know little to nothing about. And now something else that they know even less about is on the scene, technology. The electronic logging device has been around since the late 1980s. The devices were first adopted by large nationwide fleets to simply to simplify managing their plethora of drivers and eventually became a way to lower insurance costs. Manufacturers and employers claim the devices prevented drivers from driving longer than legally allowed, therefore reducing the number of tractor-trailer related crashes, and is under this premise that the Department of Transportation mandated them in 2017. Unfortunately, fatal accidents involving tractor-trailers have seen a recent increase following a sharp decline, which suggests that mandating these electronic logging devices is not provided the safety improvements. You see this every time. More recently, said environmental regulations requiring manufacturers to reduce emissions gave us the diesel particulate filter, the DPF. He said um, this was not a federal mandate, but it was something that was pushed on people by California regulations, just as California is trying to ban cars. In 17 states and now in Virginia, uh, you know, we had uh, something like 17 states that uh, piggybacked onto any regulations that California had. Virginia was one of them. Uh, that happened under Ralph Nolvum. And so Youngkin is trying to get that undone in Virginia. But if not, uh, those uh, California regulations are going to effectively ban uh, cars and trucks that are not electric uh, in less than 10 years, in just eight years. And he says uh, when these filters, these special filters, the diesel particulate filters go down, the trucks stop. He says some truckers report having to replace these filters every 5,000 miles. He says, which is a lot of lost productivity and stranded cargo. He says, I've had four breakdowns over the past two years. Three of them were due to my DPF. He said, a tow truck driver I spoke to on one of those occasions told me that half of his business comes from those malfunctioning, malfunctioning DPFs. He said, um, uh, it cost $2,000 to repair these things. And of course, your truck is not moving. You're not making any money. He says, next up on the government's list of ways to make truckers' lives miserable are the proposed speed limiters. Booty Gay wants to limit all tractor trailers to the same speed. So you know what's going to happen with that? You know, we're going to get a lot of turtle races everywhere, which is what the Germans call it when you got uh, two um, you know, turtle races or elephant races where you got the two trucks and they're going the same speed, blocking both lanes. He said, the problem with all central planning is that regulators lack local knowledge and are not inclined to speak to people living with the consequences of their decrees, probably because we would tell them what idiots they are. But it's definitely, I would say, because they don't even care what we think. And they don't even care what damage they do. They are, again, regulatory capture. They are serving uh, their political agenda, whether that is banning uh, something or the other, or whether it is making money for the corporations like Pfizer, Moderna. We look at the medical side of that. It says, for the last two decades that I've spent traversing this beautiful nation, have by and large been a wonderful experience. I've got countless stories to share with other drivers over a cup of coffee at my favorite fuel stops. And with my more stationary friends over cold beer, I wouldn't trade the things I've seen, the binds I've been in, or the successes I've enjoyed for anything. 
but the burden that's been laid on these old tired shoulders by bureaucrats and central planners has become more than I'm willing to bear. I'll always yearn for the open road, but now I'll have to satisfy that wanderlust in my pickup truck. I'm pulling the parking brake on the Peterbilt for the last time. And this is not an isolated story. Our government is like a boa constrictor. And uh, <laughs> to go back to the, uh, uh, the Revolutionary War, they, they show the different states there as a um, snake, join or die. Uh, but we need to take this boa constrictor, which is what the government, the American government has become. And uh, we need to tread on it and we need to cut it into pieces because it is destroying our lives and it is doing so intentionally. We'll be right back. show let's talk a little bit about the shots elon musk came out and said something very interesting he said um this uh covid shot or this trump shot he doesn't call it a trump shot i do almost sent me to the hospital and he also said he would go to prison before he would fire workers for refusing the jab well that's very interesting because prison sentences were never a part of any of this stuff so what is going on with elon musk what is he really trying to tell us? Uh, this will not endure me to Twitter anymore, but I'm already shadow banned. As a matter of fact, I get, uh, uh, just yesterday, I get another uh, comment that I saw. person said, by the way, just so you know, I'm not seeing any of your tweets. You know, went to um, deliberately look me up to see if I was still on Twitter. Um, yeah, I'm still on Twitter, but they don't see my tweets. And same thing happens with my wife frequently. But uh, yeah, it hasn't really gotten any better. Perhaps it's gotten worse uh, for me on Twitter. I don't know. Um, but uh, the shadow banning is, is still there. <clears throat> Mr. Free Speech has made sure of that. Um, anyway, he said he took multiple, multiple vaccines. Said he could travel. And he said it was after his third shot that he nearly got hospitalized. Well, you know, first of all, he needs to understand this is not good for his transhumanist aspirations because, you know, these people want to live uh, forever. And they've just got to, you know, hang on there until their technology saves them. If they can just hang on long enough, all these guys think that they're going to be able to transfer their, uh, whatever they are into a new mechanical body. But of course they can't tell you what they think they are, right? Cause these guys are such materialists. I remember talking to, uh, Zoltan Istvan who, ran for president, I think in 2016, as part of the Transhumanist Party. I don't even think they got on the ballot anywhere. But he was campaigning in, in Austin. And so I said, yeah, come in, I'll talk to you. And um, you know, I asked him, said, so um, you're going to transfer yourself 
into a robot, hopefully, right? He goes, yes. I said, so what are you? Because these people are the quintessential materialists. They don't believe in anything supernatural. They don't believe that there's a soul or a spirit or anything like that. So what is it that you're going to put into that, uh, that machine? Well, you know, it's just, we're going to make a copy of myself. I said, well, that's not you then, right? So what are you? Seriously, you're going to copy yourself. Uh, you're not necessarily going to transfer your, no, but none of them think they're going to transfer their spirit into a machine. They're going to transfer a copy of themselves. That still begs the question. So what are you? <laughs> they don't know. And, uh, so anyway, you know, Elon Musk, one of the premier transhumanists and he, you know, but he's out there giving himself a shot you know, getting three of these things. And then it gets even more ridiculous because he says, oh, I've got to have, I had to have it so I could travel. The richest man in the world doesn't have private jets? Seriously? Uh, and I'm sure that the good relationships that he has with these different countries, they would let him in. Even if he didn't have the vaccine passport, he'd get on his private jet and go there. It's like, yeah, you know, let's just, uh, you know, you, you don't think that the richest man in the world could find a doctor somewhere to sign off on this stuff and tell him that he'd gotten uh, a vaccine? <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not buying this story here from him. Uh, he retweeted something that was um, pretty old, actually. This video is pretty old. It's still a very good video, the one that's uh, playing um, uh, uh, Edvard Grieg's In the Hall of Mountain King. And it starts counting down the headlines, showing all these headlines from mainstream media, quoting, by the way, quoting Moderna and Pfizer, and Fauci and oh yeah, the vaccine. This one's a hundred percent, hundred percent effective. And so as you look at that, I won't play it because it's all just audio. I've played it in the past, but you know, there's, there's, they don't have any clips. It's just collected headlines, and um, and you see them going down. So the video starts. They have ten different headlines. Of course, that's not the only ones. Everybody was saying this, saying that it was hundred percent effective, and quoting Moderna and Pfizer and others. And then the next thirteen slides, or you see it going from. Um, 99 down to 90% effective. And then it just keeps falling, you know, until it gets down to nothing, essentially. Uh, that's, you remember that video. Um, and, um, again, going back to, uh, 2020, let's just remember the sequence of events here. I've talked about this before, but it's been a while. So if he thinks that this is a big revelation about this and nobody knew until now, uh, it was um, uh, right after the election, okay? So you have the election on Tuesday, and on Sunday, you had 60 Minutes ran this piece that they had in the can uh, talking to all the military people who were going to be transporting Operation Warp Speed vaccines. It was all military operation in terms of the transportation and the logistics of it. Uh, and of course, the design and development of it was a skull and dagger stuff from Fauci and the CIA, which now they're relabeling as, oh, they were, they were talking about what they were going to do in the Wuhan lab. No, they were talking about uh, the real bioweapon, the vaccine. They've been partners in developing the vaccine for years and years. And that's one of the things I have an issue with uh, RFK Jr. about. Yeah, he was, um, I thought, you know, his first book where he was talking about Fauci. In the 12th chapter, which is the one I wanted to talk to him about, uh, he talks about the germ games, and he talks about the CIA at the very center of all that, working with Fauci. 
And yet now he's written another book talking about how the pandemic all came from the Wuhan lab. It's like, what are you doing misdirecting people away from the CIA and Fauci and their bioweapon shot? Because that's what all this talk about the lab stuff really is. Yes, the CIA and Fauci were working together covertly, doing all this stuff. And now they're trying to shove the blame over to China. That's real 4D chess for you right there. They can avoid the responsibility for what they did, and then they can all make us hate China at the same time. Not that we should love China either. Uh, but um, anyway, going back to what happened. So you have the election on Tuesday. On Sunday, you have 60 Minutes run this piece. Oh, yeah, we're going to get that right away. As soon as this stuff is shown to be effective, we're going to get this stuff out. The very next day, on the Monday, it had only been six days since the election. They had pronounced on Saturday that Biden was the winner. Sunday, 60 Minutes, talking about how they're going to deliver this as soon as they know that it works. And then on Monday, the sixth day, Pfizer comes out and says, our vaccines are 90% effective. Oh, really? Isn't that convenient? And how do you know that? You haven't done any tests. There was no testing done. How, they're just making this number up. The next day, Russia comes out. Ours are 92% effective. The following Monday, Moderna comes out, says ours are 94% effective. And the next day, Pfizer came out and said, ours are 94.5% effective. And then that number continued to go up because it's just a fantasy number. As they were lying to everybody with a propaganda, it got up to 100%, stayed there for a while, until it started dropping down. And so one journalist, uh, Ed Krasenstein, says it's stupid that anybody would ever claim that it was 100%. No, it wasn't stupid. It was propaganda. And then uh, Elon Musk saying that he would go to prison uh, before he would uh, uh, fire anybody for this stuff. Well, nobody ever went to prison over uh, not firing people for not getting the vaccine. What they did was they stopped you from doing business with them. But again, Elon Musk had the leverage with the government. Who's going to launch their satellites if they shut him down? He was holding all the cards. He could have called their bluff. He could have pushed back on Biden, and he could have set up a, um, you know, a very important precedent. Uh, but they don't want to jeopardize their relationship, you see. Well, the same thing as you see with the rest of the military-industrial complex. They could have said, uh, well, we're not going to build any more F-35s for you. And they would have said, well, that's going to impact your ability to win future contracts, which is the way the government would have replied, which is why they didn't do it. Uh, there wasn't anything there about jail terms. You know, he's presenting himself out there as your savior. Elon Musk is anything but your savior. He said, we would have not done so. I would rather go to prison than to fire good people who didn't want to be jabbed. Total BS. Total BS. He says, it's not that I don't believe in vaccines. I do. However, the cure can't be, the cure cannot be potentially worse than the, the disease. Um, and so he said, uh, I think there is great potential for curing many diseases using synthetic mRNA. So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, he really does believe that. 
uh, in April of 2020, as this stuff was happening, he was pouring money into a company, CureVac, that had been funded initially by Bill Gates. Bill Gates gave uh, CureVac $52 million in 2015, and um, Musk started giving them all kinds of money and working with them to make mRNA micro factories. And that was all the beginning of the fraud demic. Um, that's not pointed out in this zero hedge story, all that hypocrisy. And he continued to talk about uh, the MRNA micro factories, uh, maybe still doing it. I saw articles as recent as uh, this last November where he was talking about that. Uh, but yeah, he's portraying himself as a savior. He's portraying himself as Mr. Free Speech while he shadow bans people. Um, the European Union is now saying uh, that you are the top purveyor of uh, disinformation. And um, so, yeah, it's, um, he's, it's true. It's just uh, not in the way that the European Union thinks. Uh, he's still doing a lot of disinformation. I'd go to jail. I, you know, I, I took three of them, and I nearly went to the hospital. Had a near hospital experience, like a near-death experience, I guess. Uh, Musk knows that he is not off the hook by leaving the code of practice because now we have the Digital Services Act fully enforced, says an EU bureaucrat. So my message for Twitter is you will have to comply with the hard law and we'll be watching what you're doing. Uh, so he's playing political games with people. But the other person, of course, who's playing political games, many of them, uh, you look at this professional wrestling stuff. Again, I talked about, you know, how this is all timed with Biden and how there's an election on Tuesday. He's declared the winner on Saturday. The 60 Minutes piece is in the can about the delivery on Sunday. Monday, Pfizer starts with 90%, and then they start, you know, one-upping each other over the next week over their efficacy rates. But there was also something else that was going on at the time. And, of course, uh, just to remind you, in case you've forgotten, uh, the fact that uh, Biden was questioning the vaccine the entire time that uh, Trump was uh, president. Oh, he it's not safe, and there's no way that he's going to be able to deliver it, which makes all of that you know, timing of the 60 Minutes piece and all the rest of that stuff very, very interesting. Here's Biden in uh, 2020. How are you going to distribute the vaccine when it arrives? And the question of whether it's real when it's there, that requires enormous transparency. you got to make all of it available to other experts across the nation so they can look and see. So there's consensus. This is a safe vaccine. Hey, there are no corners being cut, John. I'll guarantee you that. Safety is very important. There is no political pressure. This is a Trump ad, by the way. I've seen it all to move quickly. The safety and the effectiveness will not be compromised. We will do our job to assess the safety and the efficacy of a vaccine candidate. I want to assure the American people of that. Yeah, that's a Trump ad. So, you know, Trump comes back and he, he plays a quote from Biden and then he has re refuted by his buddy, Fauci. I played for you the clips before how Trump just did a supercut of Fauci talking about how Donald Trump had done everything that he told. Donald Trump is a faithful servant to me. You know, when he I tell him to tie my shoes, he ties my shoes. When I tell him to kiss my foot, he does. And all the rest of this stuff. And so in that, you had, they had three people. First one was Fauci. Second one was Francis Collins, head of the NIH, who was also 
uh, you know, been doing this gain of function stuff for a long time. But um, anyway, and then uh, Han, I think it's Stephen Han was his first name, um, the FDA director at the time, who later went to Moderna. Uh, Trump's first FDA director was Scott Gottlieb, who came from Pfizer and returned from whence he came to <laughs> to uh, indulge in the profits that were there. But now this is Biden today, because now that um, he's in charge, you know, they, they did their, their professional wrestling thing. And, uh, you know, the media switches out as soon as uh, Biden gets elected. 60 Minutes runs its piece and Pfizer says, we're done. Everything is fine. And the military says, we're and we're going to be delivering it. And so then everything was great. So great, as a matter of fact, it had to be mandated to people. And so now here's Biden, because a lot of people are questioning this. And this is why they've got the nonsense about um, the bioweapon lab being the real threat. They know that people are really waking up to this thing. And they are pulling out every bit of propaganda, every angle to lie about this stuff. And again, there are a lot of people in conservative media who are being fooled by this. Uh, here's Biden today saying you don't want to question the vaccine. You want to question the lab now. As a matter of fact, Biden has said that he's going to ban any more money from going to Wuhan for another 10 years. Even Biden is pushing this lab stuff. So all of you conservatives out there who are jumping on board this stuff, you might want to rethink what the bigger picture is here. Things that I also, it doesn't directly relate today, but Arthur and I talked a little bit about it earlier this morning, <coughs> is that... Um, <laughs> <laughs> what leaders say matter in terms of people's confidence in things they're not sure about. And one of those areas, uh, you saw what happened with regard to uh, um, the, uh, the crisis, health crisis we had that cost us, lost well over a million people. And as time began to move on, you had more and more voices saying, no, 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 you don't need to get that shot. You don't need to be engaged. You don't need to. And we have a, a new strain of COVID now, and we have answers for it. But I just would urge those in public life and both political parties and no political party to be cautious about sometimes inflammatory things you say about this because people's lives are at stake. Yeah, they are. The last piece was not in the way he says. I was vice president for a slightly different reason. I spent a lot of time going between rural areas and urban areas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is he sure about that either? Uh, look, uh, we have to be cautious about what we say because people's lives are at stake. How many people have been killed by the hospital protocols? Is it a million? They were not killed by the Wu flu. They were not killed by a pathogen that was released accidentally or deliberately. They were killed by the deliberate policies, the greed, the corruption, the mass murder of Trump and his hospital rules with Fauci and with a Trump shot and Biden's mandates. And so, you know, they're, they're playing this game. Trump was pushing the miracle vaccine all through 2020 and Biden was no, no, it's not happening, right? And then uh, Biden reinvents himself as soon as he gets reelected. Oh, it's great. And we've got this all set. It's just tag team professional wrestling, folks. Uh, they're lying to you. Everybody knows this thing is dangerous. And now they've got to create this idea again. As I said yesterday, you know, they, they ran this out through uh, conservative media. And um, 
said, you know, it's probably, you have the, the sources, uh, the people calling up Alex and other people saying, you know, it's a, it's a leak out of the, the lab. And, um, you know, it's not a coincidence that they picked that wet market there that was close to Wuhan so they could put that out there. And then they started punishing anybody who would talk about it. And then that was it. Oh, yeah, the conservatives were sure that they were onto something because they were being punished for talking about that. These people are playing 4D chess. They're the ones who are playing 4D chess, not Trump. Uh, so um, they, they push that out, and now they're telling everybody all these long COVID symptoms. You know, that, that's what you're suffering from. You're not suffering from the vaccine and the things that, uh, you know, a lot of people died right away. A lot of people died from heart issues, but even those heart issues, you know, that's the vaccine. And we had so many people who were dying as they're you know, working on their lawn because they're just releasing chemicals that are in the ground and that's what's killing them now. I mean, we've had so many absurd uh, things that have been put out there, but now they're going to, to blame it on the Wuhan lab. The establishment is blaming it on the Wuhan lab because they want you afraid. They want you to go get the vaccine. And uh, again, all of this stuff about October the 4th and everything, it's all just a part of that game that the CIA plays on people. The intelligence community is what I mean in the overall uh, big thing. Uh, if you go back to, again, to July 2020, Fox News running things, Biden questions whether the coronavirus will be real despite expert assurances, said Fox News. You know, these are the people who are running these garbage debates where they just get uh, the candidates there. They want to get them screaming at each other. They want them to play these little games where you, you, know, you raise your hand if you think this and write this down, who you want to vote off and all the rest of the stuff. Fox News. And Tucker's still doing that kind of stuff. The Trump campaign has called out Biden's remarks as irresponsible. This is in J July of 2020. And um, because Biden was said, how are you going to distribute the vaccine when it arrives? Is it just played for you? You got to make all of it available to other experts across the country so they can look and see. So there's a con consensus that this is a safe vaccine. Well, of course, that never happened. Meanwhile, the chief advisor of Operation Warp Speed in July of 2020, uh, the government's vaccine program, said this week in an interview with CNN that he expects efficacy rates in the 90% range. How would he know that? In July, they hadn't done any testing. Well, he knows that because that's what they're going to tell you. They've already worked up their lie. Uh, so this whole thing has been uh, a, uh, a scam from the very beginning. Uh, and then DNA contamination. Uh, this is uh, from Spectator. Early in 2023, genomics scientist Kevin McKernan made an accidental discovery while running an experiment in his Boston lab. He used some vials, and he spelled that V-I-A-L-S, but you could also spell it the other way, V-I-L-E-S, of mRNA Pfizer and Moderna COVID vaccines as controls, and he was shocked to find that they allegedly contaminated, were contaminated with tiny fragments of plasmid DNA. Well, early 2023, three years after all of this stuff began, right? Uh, we finally do some tests. He says uh, the contamination had not been disclosed. I mentioned this briefly, but I didn't go into uh, enough detail on this. Other scientists soon confirmed his findings, although the amount of DNA contamination was variable. And uh, as we've also seen, 
so are the active ingredients variable. Going from um, 3 to 100, in other words, varying by a factor of 33 times. Uh, suggesting inconsistency of vial contents, depending on batch lots. Yeah. One of these scientists was cancer genomics expert Dr. Philip Buckle, Buckholtz, who is a proponent of the mRNA platform and has received the Pfizer COVID vaccine himself. Well, you know, what about those 2 million vials in Japan? You remember that? The Japanese government just threw them away. They said, look at these things, and they've got black uh, uh, particulates, or precipitate things that are precipitated out of the solution here that are black. And not only that, but they interact with magnets. Well, that was the last that we heard of it, but they threw away 2 million of them. It was um, two different times, uh, a little over a million the first time and then a million the second time. Uh, so what's going on with that? What is it that precipitated out of it? You know, is that why they had to keep them at a super cold level? Because otherwise these things would start growing something? And why were they interacting with magnets? You see, we don't know what is in any of this stuff. Nothing about what is in any of this stuff. And um, so uh, <laughs> it's nanotechnology. Nobody really knows what's in this stuff. Uh, I tell you, Dr. Paul Offit, who was always the biggest cheerleader, for vaccines, you know, we got to mandate the measles vaccine, all the rest of the stuff. And um, one of the biggest ones out there, and he's with some vaccine, uh, you know, uh, that's his business. Uh, but he said, well, like I said, he said, uh, we don't want to do this warp speed thing. He said the same thing that Rand Paul said. It's going to make people suspicious of vaccines. He knew it was going to blow up. Now, I don't know if he knows what's in them or not, or if he's just looking at this and making the same decisions that I made. This stuff has not been tested for anything. It's a very new and novel approach. Dr. Paul Offit is not getting it. And he's public about that. I'm not taking that stuff. One of the guys' biggest uh, cheerleaders for all the vaccine stuff is not going to get it. Uh, that's his personal decision. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Truth is a revolutionary act. You're listening to the David Knight Show. Well, we have James Gordon Meek, a guy who was a reporter for ABC News for nearly 10 years. And uh, he was caught with child pornography. And the prosecutors are asking for him to go to jail for 15 years. Now, there's so many different angles to this as I looked at this. First of all, Let's understand that the prosecutors um, were asking for 33 years for Joe Biggs, who didn't get violent with anybody. And um, they got 17 years. The prosecutor's not even asking for as much as uh, Joe Biggs got for this guy who was doing 
child pornography. And then there's something else about this. Understand that even though they will send some people, not all people, some people, because we had, uh, you know, Brown Jackson, the most recent addition to the Supreme Court. She'd let person after person off who had uh, child pornography. It's like, yeah, that's just, yeah, who cares? What's her attitude? Who cares? Everybody's got that all over their computers. I'm not going to send somebody to prison for that stuff. She's sitting on the Supreme Court now. But uh, for most people, uh, pornography of kids is still a problem. But in most Democrat states, especially places like California, pornography to kids, to kids, is fiercely pushed. They demand it. You got all of these articles all over mainstream media and drudge on a, almost a daily basis. Oh, look, you know, they, we've got this pornographic cartoon novel about, um, um, uh, you know, the Holocaust and, and, and it's got pornography in there. Right. And, um, how dare them, uh, take away the diary of Anne Frank. Well, because it's not about, uh, world war two. It's not about what happened to these people. It's about their explicit pornographic pictures that they have in there. They demand that that be shown to kids. And if you stand up at one of their meetings and you start reading this stuff out or you start reading it in a, a legislative body or something like that, people are outraged, just like they're outraged if you show the pictures of Hunter Biden in a public thing. It's uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, but, um, you know, they're, you, you are not allowed to read out loud what they are pushing on kids. And what does that tell you? And that's why these people keep doing that. It's a very powerful point. So pornography to kids is required. But uh, for some people, pornography of kids is a bad thing and they will get punished, but not nearly as much as somebody that they don't like politically, like Joe Biggs. And so uh, there is, um, as we look at this downward spiral and how these people for their latest sexual kicks must focus on kids. Uh, in the Netherlands, there's a kids TV show called simply naked where adults get naked in front of children. Uh, and, and, and this is the amazing thing to me is how these people put this out as if this is some kind of a libertarian thing. Uh, no, you never, it's never before now been okay to take liberties, sexual liberties with kids. That was one of the last remaining taboos, but now that is demanded. And it is celebrated. And so in the Netherlands, you, know, you want to know why, you know, <laughs> you want to know why they're, they're, the, these globalist parasites are taking the food supply of people in the Netherlands and getting ready to lock them up in these smart cities? It's because they've tolerated this kind of stuff. We've got to find a way that we take this thing down. Politicians aren't going to take this stuff down. Uh, somehow we're going to have to push back against this, or God's going to judge our country as well. He'll judge any country that does this type of thing. So um, in uh, one episode that they put up, they showed, um, of course, they had things that were blurred out. I'm not going to play the video even with that, but uh, they had a bunch of uh, transgenders there, adult transgenders, transgenders who had mutilated their body, and they have a bunch of kids, and they're doing this in front of the kids. How sick is a society that does that type of stuff? People sit there and watch this. And, and these people 
are engaging in this exhibition to kids. Uh, getting completely naked, and then afterwards they interview the kids, and the kids say, oh, seems perfectly natural to me, because that's the way they're being raised. And so um, in Germany, you have a book that is pro-prostitution being offered to children by the government in Germany. See, this, all this stuff is way beyond the Weimar Republic and the corruption that was there. And, uh, you know, we know what happened to Germany after that. Um, City of Berlin has prompted outrage from locals after offering a graphic picture book on prostitution to children on its official website, targeted for kids 6 to 12, because it's so important for them to know about prostitution. And they put this all in the context of immigrants who have come into the country from Eastern European countries and that type of thing, or from Syria. Uh, the book is written from the perspective of a child named Miriam, whose family re relocated to Germany from Syria. Uh, she narrates as she and her equally young schoolmate, Martin, look for Rosie, a woman who has migrated to Germany from Bulgaria, who is in the quote-unquote sex trade. Uh, Miriam says that her mother told her that Rosie is often looking for money in the street. Described as having many friends who are also migrants from Bulgaria, Romania, Russia, Lithuania. You know, people who are going to be in prostitution because they've been trafficked. Right? And this is how they normalize all this stuff. These people, this is coming from you know, the uh, human trafficking, the enabling of human trafficking is coming from the governments. And rather than stopping it, they do explicit explicit books about talking about what the prostitute does. They do that for kids to normalize it. Uh, because, you know, hey, this is something, um, uh, you know, they said, Rosie's men, uh, it's not like uh, on TV. And then they get very, very explicit about it. Uh, so uh, last year, they had, uh, they said uh, that Google searches for terms like Ukrainian girls, Ukrainian porn, and war porn spiked as the conflict began. It was later learned that Berlin-based sex work, quote-unquote, advocacy agency had made, uh, was made up of trans and non-binary sex workers, and they were using social media to solicit Ukrainian refugee women to get into the sex trade, to become prostitutes. Uh, again, all of this stuff together, all these, this cesspool, where you're talking about the massive murder in Ukraine with this NATO pushed war, or whether you're talking about the massive migration and the human trafficking and everything, and it all falls in together as we see over and over again with their Ukrainian trans spokespersons and you know their uh, pushing of the LGBT flag, all this stuff falls together. It's all just different facets of the same thing. Uh, meanwhile, a thousand children in Ohio have been uh, reported as missing already in 2023. Uh, so why is this a surprise? Uh, 45 children disappeared from the Cleveland area in September alone, reports the New York Post. But it's just, it's normal, right? This is the new normal that they have for us. Uh, we cannot accept this. Uh, we'll be right back.
You're listening to The David Knight Show. here from uh, listeners on um, Rockfin. Uh, MJ Nichols responds to the uh, trucking stuff. He says Central Trucking, the trucking company I talked about, he says they're still around, but they're a shadow of their former prominence. He says, I've never owned a truck without, and he's, he's a truck driver, I've never owned a truck with DPF, and they will never put a speed limiter on my truck. Well, good for you. Good for you. My 30-plus years of accident-free experience and my wallet <laughs> are my speed limiter. Well, good. That's good. Um, thank you for the tip. And also on Rockfin, thank you very much, um, uh, Papa uh, CT2G. Thank you very much for the tip. And Geesebusters, good to see you there. Thank you so much for the tip on Rumble, uh, Geesebusters. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the climate change stuff. Uh, a wind turbine graveyard uncovered in Australia. And the left doesn't care whatsoever. There's a lot that's troubling about the climate cult. It's more like an airy religion with very little actual concern for the planet and a whole lot more focus on power control and raking in enormous profits. That's right. It's a, it is a control grid. This is power politics. You know, it's been said, Mao said that uh, power comes out of the barrel of a gun. Well, I say it also comes out of a barrel of oil. And uh, that's what these people are using. Uh, you can shut, you can throttle an economy, you can drive it into economic chaos, stagflation, dragflation, all the rest of the stuff by messing with the price of energy. That's one of the reasons why Biden is doing it. Uh, just like OPEC did before, now we got BOPEC. Uh, anyway, um, wind energy marketed to the public as this magical, completely eco friendly solution, but in reality, it is a colossal environmental disaster, and the left doesn't care. Back in 2020, Bloomberg wrote a riveting piece on wind turbine blades and how they are not recyclable and how they are now piling up in landfills all over the country. They said in 2020, a wind turbine's blades can be longer than a Boeing 747 wing. So at the end of their lifespan, they cannot just be hauled away. That's something we used to see all the time in Austin because there's so much wind power in Texas that they have subsidized heavily. Tens of billions of dollars spent to, uh, for the infrastructure to bring the power from these wind farms back to the cities. And we would see these blades being taken down the interstate all the time. It truly was amazing, just a single blade. Um, and so um, I said, you need to saw through, after the end of their lifespan, you need to saw through the fiberglass uh, using a diamond-encrusted industrial saw to create three pieces small enough to be strapped to a tractor trailer. Uh, the municipal landfill in Casper, Wyoming, is the final resting place of 870 blades, whose days making renewable energy have come to an end. The severed fragments look like bleached whale bones nestled against one another. And again, they saw them into pieces because uh, as long as these things are, you know, they have to have them of one piece, of course, to put them in place. But 
as long as they are, if you're going to take that long trip all the way up to the graveyard in Wyoming, uh, that would be too difficult with the length that they are. They go very, very slowly and making these turns and all the rest of the stuff. Tens of thousands of aging blades are coming down from steel towers around the world and have nowhere to go but landfills. In the U.S. alone, about 8,000 will be removed in each of the next four years. This is written in 2020. Each year, 8,000 of them coming down uh, because they have a useful life. Nothing lasts forever, which is why wind power is not free. It's incredibly expensive uh, because these things burn out. Uh, Europe, which has been dealing with the problem longer, has about 3,800 of them coming down annually through at least 2022, according to Bloomberg. And it's going to get worse. Most were built more than a decade ago when installations were less than a fifth of what they are now. Okay, so they last for about 10 years, and you got to buy a new one. That sounds like a great business to be in if you're selling these things to people. Built to withstand hurricane-force winds, the blades cannot easily be crushed, recycled, or repurposed. In the U.S., they go to a handful of landfills that will accept them, the one in Casper, Wyoming. There's another one in Lake Mills, Iowa, and another one in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. They bury them 30 feet underground. The wind turbine blade will be there ultimately forever. Uh, Most landfills are considered to be a dry tomb. The last thing that we want to do is to create even more environmental challenges. But we have the same type of problem with spent solar panels as well. Alarming footage of the discarded remains of a wind farm in Queensland, Australia, uh, show that not only are these monstrosities a blight on the countryside when they're in operation, killing and maiming hundreds of thousands of bats and birds in the process every single year. But once their working life of just 15, oh, not 10 years, but 15 to 20 years, once that's up, they cannot be recycled. So they end up being dumped in nature or in landfills. I got to say, I I just don't understand why the blades themselves, if they're so durable, I don't understand why uh, they uh, cannot continue in operation. Yeah, I can understand how the generator and things like that and the friction involved, those things would um, uh, would break. And we see that happening uh, with um, these these windmills many times. As a matter of fact, if you look at this, <laughs> there's one that is on fire. I don't know if it was hit by lightning. Um, and it's making a very interesting spiral. <laughs> but, uh, you know... The, they will they'll catch fire and they'll um, with the uh, generator part of it, I would imagine that that would wear out. But the blades, unless they are struck by lightning or something like that, I would think that they'd be able to keep them going for a long time. But they can't. Uh, 15 to 20 years max. Drilling foundations for offshore wind turbines and sound pulses used to prepare for the 900-foot towers may be creating a death zone for whales says the co-founder of Greenpeace, Patrick Moore, but they don't care. You see, they don't care about that. They don't care about the birds. They don't care about the bats. By the way, the bats are the ones that are really affected by this because they are breathing deeply and rapidly. And what happens is they're not running into the blades. The blades are moving relatively slowly, but those blades create a, a massive pressure differential there. And so it's the same type of thing that happens uh, with scuba divers, where you get uh, embolism, uh, you know, if a scuba diver goes down, it takes a breath and holds it and goes up. You know, the, you have a 
the atmospheric pressure doubles every 33 feet. So you go down 33 feet and you go up and you've got to full, um, uh, fill your lungs up with air from your scoop tank. And if you then go up to the surface without exhaling, uh, your lungs are going to blow up to twice the size, which means they're going to blow up. They're not, they're not that elastic. And the same thing is what is happening to these bats. They take a, a, a breath of air inside this low pressure that is around the spinning uh, turbine. And then when they come out to the regular side, they explode and they drop right there. So they know what's killing them. They're not hitting the blades. Uh, the intervention uh, comes after four whale corpses were found discovered in New York and New England uh, in a very short period of time. At least 36 large whales have washed up on the East Coast since December the 1st, according to data from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration that tracks the death of large species in the Atlantic. Uh, but nobody cares to do anything about that. And so in this uh, op-ed piece, they say, well, if you stop and think about what is happening with these turbines and the damage that they inflict, you know, there's nothing green about them except the color of money. Uh, it involves massive deforestation, many cases, the destruction of entire ecosystems, and yet idiotic climate cultists and clueless sheep accept all this. You know, just like uh, they accept all this stuff about um, Trump, right? People who support him. They don't care that uh, of all the different things that he's done that they're adamantly opposed to. Well, the people on the left are the same way as well. Uh, a genuine environmentalist wouldn't condone the devastation of our countryside and the harm that animals uh, are done to animals. But of course, um, you know, a, a genuine conservative or libertarian would not support uh, what Trump did in the 2020s. And it's not any support to say, well, Biden does the same things or even does them to a different worse degree. Uh, none of that is true. By the way, you know, when we look at it, the windmills of your mind, maybe um, <laughs> it's an appropriate theme song would be um, from Don Quixote, uh, jousting with these windmills to dream the impossible dream. That's really what it's about when you're talking about these windmills. And then look at what is happening in the UK as they are frantic, frantic to get rid of furnaces there. They want heat pumps. And it's a cold enough climate the heat pumps really don't keep anybody warm and they use a lot of energy. You know, in a, in a temperate climate, a heat pump can um, be very useful if it doesn't get really cold. But if it gets really cold, uh, you're not going to have any warm air coming out of it. You've got to burn something. Oil, gas, wood, something like that for, for warmth. And they really can't keep up. And they run all the time. And then frequently they will turn on resistive heat, which uses even more electricity. It is not a solution, but it is being demanded by the government in the UK. And they now have a new uh, threat. And all this is coming from the conservatives in power, by the way. The conservatives are doing this in the UK. A heat pump farce reaches a new low as the government doubles down on fining manufacturers if they sell too many gas boilers, same type of thing that we have seen in the past over automobiles, you know, well, um, uh, if you sell this many, you know, it's going to be a gas guzzler tax on it or whatever. And, you know, for every one of these, uh, things that you got out here with low fuel economy and a big engine, you're going to have to sell X number of these that have, uh, a better fuel economy or 
electric vehicles or whatever. Now they're doing that with the gas furnaces in the UK. But even worse is the fact that they're going to spend tens of billions of dollars. Now, that's a lot of money, even in the United States, but it's a lot more money in the UK where they uh, don't have this, you know, imaginary, uh, there's there's no limit to what they can uh, print like we have here in the U.S. for now, and a much smaller economy. And so this is huge, and it's going to be thousands of dollars per person that it's going to cost because they're going to go through and uh, as they turn off the gas and they don't allow people to use gas anymore, they're already talking about how they have to uh, dig up the roads and other areas and pull the gas pipes out. They said, we can't leave that infrastructure in the ground. We've got to remove it because if it's empty, it's going to corrode and it is um, then going to collapse under the roads and everything. So we're going to rip it all out underground and it's going to cost a lot of money. And this is what is happening in uh, the West right now. They are literally tearing up. You know, you got Boudiers out there ripping up streets and tearing down bridges, calling them racist or whatever the justification. They are destroying our infrastructure. They're destroying roads. They're destroying the underground gas lines and all the rest of the stuff because they are taking us back to a medieval dark ages. That is what is really happening with all this stuff, because all the climate stuff, as we all know, is fake. And so this is the real purpose to destroy our countries and to destroy the infrastructure. They don't build anything anymore. Yeah, there's absolutely no way that they would have the will uh, to build the interstate system today. Uh, the government and its contractors are so hopelessly corrupt, they could never afford to do it. But they don't even try to pretend that they're going to do that. But of course, money is no object when it comes to other things, when it comes to uh, charging station infrastructure, something like that, they'll pay whatever that takes. And by the way, you know, um, in the state of Florida, uh, DeSantis pushing over $8 million to put chargers in. Uh, so, um, you know, there is, there is no end to what they're doing. But when you look at what they're doing now in terms of selling, uh, the government's increasingly farcical heat pump strategy, says the Daily Skeptic. We'll see that manufacturers are fined up to 5,000 pounds for every heat pump they fail to sell below their quota. Where does this quota come from? Well, they said uh, they want to replace traditional oil and gas boilers <clears throat> with heat pumps that run on electricity will play a role in combating climate change, says the conservative government in the UK. Rishi Sunak, by the way, the same guy that Trump just said is a genius. Oh, that's great. Why? Well, because he pulled back on some of the uh, one, one car ban issue, one issue. And so Trump, oh, he's a genius. He's a genius. Well, if you believe that, uh, you're an idiot. So maybe Trump's an idiot, or maybe he's playing you for an idiot. Because this is what's coming from Rishi Sunak. Yeah, one small step backwards, really? Uh, but this is the big steps forward. Home heating accounts for about 14% of the UK's total, quote-unquote, carbon emissions. I'm so sick of that term. And unless that comes down, it'll be very hard to get to net zero. Of course, this article is uh, pushing for that. But here's the trouble that even these people who think are, are telling you this is a problem. This is a problem that they, even they see. They said, uh, so like a Soviet commissar, after a couple of vodkas too many, the government, Rishi Sunak, the genius that Trump said, has just set a target 
Uh, for next year, manufacturers will be told how many heat pumps they have to shift based on the number of gas boilers they sell. And they will face fines of up to 5,000 pounds for every unit that they fall short by. So if you sell um, uh, a gas boiler to somebody who wants it, well, you're going to pay a lot for that because um, if they can't sell, um, you know, I don't know how many uh, heat pumps they'll have to sell for every gas boiler that they sell. But if they fall short of that, it'll be $5,000 per. It's hard to know where this new wheeze of fining companies for not selling enough of a government-approved product might end. Or no, it's not necessarily government-approved. It's a government-mandated product. Because that's what we're talking about here. This is the way the mandates run out. And that's the way the mandates would have been done with uh, Trump with the vaccines. Bribery and blackmail. And you saw a lot of that with the mandates from Biden. Bribery and blackmail. A fine from bureaucrats who rule. Because there is no law here. These are dictates from the bureaucrats who are still putting out the, uh, you know, there's no debate about this. There's nothing else. They just, you know, this has to go out there. And um, uh, it is the uh, bureaucrats that are doing it. But it is still, they're still doing the will of the politicians who are running this government. And so uh, a future is envisioned where utilities moderate electricity demand via cars and appliances. They're going to suck the juice right out of your EV. And this is something else that uh, Eric Peters and I have talked about forever. Oh, yeah, they're going to they're going to shut down your EV. And the way that they're going to use it, and they're already talking about it, mandating it with the Biden administration, uh, they're going to push it through the companies that will then use smart meters and other restrictions on how you can charge your electric car. And they will use all these electric cars and other appliances, they say, as essentially storage for the electric grid. When the wind stops blowing, when the sun stops shining, uh, then they will start pulling the electricity out of your car. No problem, right? Except that uh, the reason that they're doing this, uh, they're going to be cycling your car up, using your car to store stuff during the day. And then uh, pulling the stuff out of it in the evening. And, uh, of course, we all know what happens when you cycle these lithium batteries. The more you cycle them, the shorter their life gets. So they're pushing these costs off onto the people who are buying the electric cars. Subsidies today, and you're going to pay it back big time tomorrow. It's kind of like what we're talking about with Social Security stuff the other, you know, earlier in the program. Uh, so these cars and appliances will be used for energy storage. The only thing worse than that. As these big battery storage places that they're setting up that are unbelievable fire hazard. That's the approach that they're trying to take here in Tennessee. Uh, example functions of these, um, they call them virtual power plants. Uh, the VPPs on the market today include shifting the timing of EV charging to avoid overloading local distribution system equipment. And then dispatching energy from commercial EV batteries back to the grid. Uh, the problem is, is that as the EPA is now shutting down these power generation uh, places left and right, uh, there may not be sufficient capacity to even charge your EV so that you can use it during the day. And, of course, since they're going to need to have that storage, that energy in your car battery so they can pull it out that night, I'm sure there'll be restrictions on how much you can drive even during the day, even if you're allowed to charge it. 
because they're going to need to have that power back later at night. And they will know how much you're driving because uh, they will have um, the ability to track everything that you do. That's why they're loading these things up with electronics. They will know where you go, how far you drive, and all the rest of the stuff. And if you drive more than they tell you to, you'll get a fine because they're going to need to get that electricity back at the end of the day. Uh, before we take a break here, um, uh, let's see. Oh, I've already read those. Um, so we're going to take a break. Do we have uh, Eric yet? Um, one last thing before we take a break. Lego was virtue signaling about how they were going to use recycled plastic earlier this year. Uh, and then they looked at it and they said, well, you know, um, the problem is, is that it's going to be really expensive. We've got a lot of capital costs. We're going to have to have new machines in order to repurpose this plastic. Uh, they talked about that in the summer of 2021. And after three years of looking at it, they say, well, uh, the belief was, um, <laughs> the new CEO uh, says the belief was that it was easier to find this magic material or this new material. That's what he called it. Uh, that would uh, solve this sustainability issue, but that doesn't seem to be there. We tested hundreds and hundreds of materials and it's not been possible to find a material like that. And isn't that what we are seeing with the entire green agenda? It's sold to everybody. We have the sky is falling and we've got some magic new technology that is going to fix everything. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break and uh, we will be right back. Stay with us. Making sense common again. You're listening to The David Knight Show. All right, welcome back. And joining us now is Eric Peters of epautos.com or ericpetersauto.com. And a lot of things have come up, a lot of articles, interesting things that he's put on his site since we last talked. And I wanted to talk to him about that. But uh, especially interesting to talk to him about all the attention that's been paid to the United Auto Workers strike uh, by politicians. 
it was uh, Joe Biden who went there. He actually, he aced out uh, Trump and got there first. Trump wanted to go at the same time that the debate was happening so he could have a counter-programming of an event. But even during the debate, you had Doug Burgum uh, talking about it as well. So um, your, your op-ed piece, thanks for joining us, Eric. Good to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me, David. Yeah, and you know, to his credit, Orange Man said the unspeakable thing out loud. Yes. Yes. Yeah. What is that unspeakable thing? <laughs> well, he talked about how uh, it's not a matter of pay raises. It's about jobs being disappeared by this electrification agenda, which is what my article was all about, and that these UAW people had better get hip to the fact uh, that they're not going to be worrying about cost of living adjustments in 32-hour work weeks uh, if this thing proceeds apace, because you only need so many workers uh, to, to plug in an EV, mm-hmm. and their jobs are going to be gone because of that. And the underlying premise of all of this, of course, is this this green agenda, this this idea of we're going to decarbonize everything. And, of course, we're made of carbon, too, so eventually they're going to decarbonize us. <laughs> well, they're the telling you the truth about that, at least, you know. The, yeah. <laughs> they're just not telling you the whole truth. We understand what it's yep. really about. It's about a depopulation agenda. But, uh, yeah, they're going to decarbonize us as well. You know, it's kind of what this all reminds me of. You're talking about how it's a much simpler manufacturing process. And, of course, a lot of this is going to be outsourced. Uh, we've already seen companies coming in and saying, we're going to build the electric skate. Then you're just going to, uh, you know, tack on the body or whatever else that you want to put mm-hmm. on it. And, of course, that doesn't have to be built here. It'll be built uh, in the places where they've got the minerals, which is in China, of course. But it, all this reminds me of um, the early days of uh, computers, personal computers, when um, you had uh, – uh, IBM and you know they they went out when they jumped in the market. Uh, they got the operating system from uh, Bill Gates, who had already stolen it from Digital Research, and then mm-hmm. they uh, decided that they would just go with off-the-shelf components, essentially from Intel, and that opened it up for everybody to start making these things. And before you knew it, mm-hmm. I mean, you even had um, you know some American Indian tribes were manufacturing PCs because anybody could put this stuff together. And that is really kind of what is happening now with the automobile. It used to be very, very complicated, and it got even more complicated because of government regulations about emissions and safety and all the rest of this stuff. So that became a big barrier to competition for anybody getting into it. But now they have greatly simplified it with these EV things, and it's going to be they're going to everybody's going to be jumping into it. And of course, China's jumping into it in a big way, aren't they? Well, they're going to be homogenizing it. Yes. Um, I published a piece earlier today about what Honda is about to do, which is it's going to release its own battery-powered appliances uh, beginning in 2024 with a vehicle called the Prologue and then an Acura derivation of that called the ZDX. And uh, all they are are extruded plastic shells with a Honda badge on them, and underneath of them they've got the same GM Ultium battery platform that, that is underneath GM's battery-powered appliances. And so it begs the question of why bother? Why even have Hondas anymore? You know, Honda is a company that, that made its bones and its reputation on its engines. You know, and yes. I, I, I go through in my article a number of the, the more famous engines that, that Honda had, had produced over the years, including the compound vortex combustion chamber engine that it had in the Civic back in the 70s mm-hmm. that was so efficient that it didn't even need a catalytic converter to meet federal emissions regs. Wow. Uh, and then you, then you had models like uh, the NSX and the S2000, which were like IndyCar race cars that you could drive on the street. They had 10,000 RPM uh, yeah. red lines, just phenomenal vehicles. Well, they're about to give all that away because who cares? It's just another battery-powered appliance, and it's not just Honda. It's all of them. 
uh, essentially they're trying to, to become the next Tesla, but then everybody's making the same thing. So what's the point in having 10 or 15 different companies all making the same thing? Yeah, they're all just uh, boutique manufacturers, you know. Uh, it's mm-hmm. going to be a body by Fisher, and, <laughs> and then, you know, the, the, but the same thing underneath all of them. Uh, as you point out, they, they really have had an amazing history, if you stop and think about it. Uh, it's kind of like the history of flight, you know, going from the Wright brothers up to uh, the NSX, you know, it's <laughs> like the supersonic transport. Yeah. Uh, because at the very beginning of this, uh, Honda and, um, you know, even Mazda, Mazda survived. They were just making like farm implements and some very simple motors and stuff at the end of World War II. Um, they were there in Hiroshima. And they survived because they were in the shadow of the uh, nuclear bomb that happened. They were on the other side of a mountain. And so it didn't blow them away. And um, they, you know, survived that and, and built on that. But these, a lot of these car companies were just doing lawnmower engines. And then they went to motorcycle engines. And then they started doing small cars. And they started doing very, very sophisticated cars. And now everything is going to just be deconstructed. Uh, and all of that manufacturing expertise is going to be lost. Uh, that that's a key thing to me. You know, when when they when Toyota was talking about why they used uh, BMW's um, uh, model for their new sports car, uh, they said, uh, "Well, you know, we've been making all these uh, sports cars, but we haven't done any ourselves for." A couple of decades and we've lost the manufacturing expertise they said so we can't do uh, something like uh, the miata that's done by uh, mazda they've been doing this continuously for you know 30 years or so but we haven't and we've lost that manufacturing expertise so we got to rely on other people to do that and it's going to be lost very very quickly isn't it when you think about it, too, because Toyota, you know, is one of the world's largest car companies. It has been the largest car company at one point or another. Uh, and if they haven't got the, the wherewithal and the resources to develop their own specific drivetrains for a particular vehicle, uh, you know that there's a problem in the industry generally. And these smaller car companies are not going to be able to do it at all. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, you know, we look at uh, things that are happening just from the cyber hacks. Uh, is talking about what happened with the F-35 and and then the same thing happening with uh, MGM properties in Vegas and uh, there was Caesar's Palace was was hacked and they admitted it. But, you know, we had Toyota that all their their uh, uh, manufacturing was shut down a couple of weeks ago. And, and now the same thing has happened in Volkswagen. They've uh, shut down all their stuff. Uh, all of this electronic stuff is just so vulnerable. It's not just the batteries, but as they are. You know, as, as we get more and more into computers, whether you're talking about manufacturing or accounting, or you're talking about the computers that are being deeply embedded in every kind of car, uh, everything is becoming incredibly fragile and easily I was broken. Just say that word. Mm-hmm. What's that? Yeah, tiered, tiered levels of fragility. I was going to yes. use exactly that word. Yeah. And then the other aspect of it is 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 a kind of built-in obsolescence in that uh, electronics tend not to age very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you think about your cell phone, and you buy a new one today, and three years from now, it's going to seem like a, I don't know, like a Betamax from, from back in the 80s. That's right. Uh, and, and it probably won't work at all, because they deliberately engineer these things so that they can't be updated after a certain point, and so their functionality is diminished, and then the battery stops working, and so what do you do? You don't fix it. You throw it away and get another one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's much worse than the planned obsolescence they used to talk about with cars that, you know, people would... Uh, you know, they'd last typically like three years and people want to get rid of them. Yeah, but then they stuck around and a lot of people uh, kept them and now they're making them into some very valuable antiques. Uh, but, um, you know, it was uh, a, a big selling point that uh, I remember in the 70s, Volvo's selling point was, you know, hey, our cars uh, 
uh, average age of the cars in Sweden are 11 years. And it's like, well, it's not necessarily because your Volvos are built so well. It's just because everybody's been made poor by socialism. <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, and you know, the interesting thing about the planned obsolescence is that a lot of people don't understand that that really didn't refer to mechanical obsolescence. It was more about trying to keep up with the Joneses. Yes. So, for example, General Motors would uh, make the fins bigger. Uh, one year rather than the, the prior year. That's right. And the idea was that, you know, you would look over <laughs> at your neighbor's driveway and see that his car had bigger fins than yours, mm-hmm. and that would impel you to go down to the dealer and, you know, try to keep up with him by buying whatever the latest is. And then, of course, next year, the fins got bigger or the grill changed in some other way. But the vehicles were, were very sound, and you could, uh, you know, you could keep a 55 Chevy going for 20 years or longer without that much of a problem. Mm-hmm. It was mainly about social posturing rather than, quote-unquote, planned obsolescence. That's right. That's right. Yeah, there's still a lot of them driving around here especially mm-hmm. on particular weekends yeah. that you see that type of thing happening but yeah they make it bigger or they add more chrome and then next year you got to have it with less chrome or smaller fins or no fins at all it was it was really about style and fashion and that was a big part of why everybody was uh changing isn't it interesting that now people can't even afford to buy cars let alone change them like they would uh, a, a suit or a tie because uh, oh it's getting so crazy david yeah. i have uh this week my my uh my test car the vehicle that i'm reviewing is the uh the ford escape it's a ford escape and i emphasize that so it's a little crossover suv the thing is forty seven thousand mm. dollars wow wow that's amazing that truly is amazing well before we leave the auto worker stuff right mm-hmm. um you had um uh you know trump i thought it was amusing because he goes there for a photo op there's a lot of allegations that he had people. He goes to this this place that is a parts supplier that has mm-hmm. 150 employees and they got 500 people there. And they're, and so the question was, well, you know, obviously they brought people from outside the company. and uh, But they were holding up uh, UAW signs. And so some of the local press went around and they, <laughs> these people said, no, I'm not part of the union. I'm just holding mm-hmm. a sign here. You know, so they're, they're saying this is an astroturf type of thing. Uh, but then at the debate, uh, which is why he was there, he didn't want to go to the debate. Uh, you had Doug Burgum essentially saying the same thing that Trump had been saying, which is that they're, you know, the auto workers are striking and it needs to be against the green agenda. And he yeah. talks about the very fact that, you know, he says we're subsidizing the cars and we're subsidizing a particular kind of car, not every car. We're particularly subsidizing electric vehicles when China is controlling 85% of the rare earth minerals that are going to be needed for these things. And so what we're doing is we're putting uh, our own industry out of business and we're sending it to China. But of course, that's what we've been doing for a long time, isn't it, Eric? You know, we've been giving them a pass with all this climate stuff so they can build as many power facilities as they want or refineries. And um, there's no uh, restrictions on how many they build or how dirty they are. But now it's gotten to the retail level where we say, well, we're just going to send, we're going to prohibit, prohibit any manufacturing of this stuff by regulations in the United States. It all must come from China. Yeah, it's paradoxical, ironical, and it's sad in that these people, these UAW people, uh, do not understand that they're facing an existential threat. Uh, and in order for them to combat it, they are going to have to come to grips with something uh, that's kind of difficult for them in that uh, they will have to question this green agenda, which is at the very core of the modern Democrat Party, which is essentially now a party of the elite left. Mm-hmm. And you know, working class people have got to come to understand that, that the Democrat Party is the very thing that it used to accuse the Republican Party of being. It is the party of rich, arrogant elites who want to insurf and impoverish the working class. That's right. And the middle class. That's right. That's right. You know, at the same time, he's he's virtue signaling to them. Uh, Biden is going there. 
and saying that uh, the UAW should fight for a 40% pay raise. And then uh, Elon Musk, who I'm not a big uh, fan of, but Elon Musk gave him a sanity check about that. And, uh, you know, of course, that, that doesn't make any economic sense. Uh, he says, uh, so they want a 40% pay raise and a 32-hour work week. It's a sure way to drive GM, Ford, and Chrysler bankrupt in the fast lane. But, of course, you know, the, the fact that uh, everything, uh, the minerals and all uh, uh, the rest of the stuff that, that they're going to have to use for this is going to be coming from China. That is a super fast lane that, for bankruptcy of an entire industry that used to be um, a cornerstone industry of our prosperity because it was a cornerstone of our manufacturing capacity and ability. And we're losing all that ability and capacity, and we're even losing our capacity to generate power. Yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine a worse time for the UAW to make these kinds of demands uh, in view of the fact that uh, the affordability of cars has never been worse, and it's getting worse all the time. And it's not just the, the price of the vehicles themselves, which now average $50,000. That's the average transaction price of a new car. Uh, it's the cost of money. You know, anybody who's paying any attention knows that interest rates on loans have doubled mm-hmm. or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that makes them even less affordable. And the idea that somehow... These, these car companies are going to be able to pay their workers 40% more and cut their hours uh, down to a 32-hour work week, and that that's not going to have any effect on the price of vehicles, and that they're going to somehow continue to make the same money to be able to pay these workers what they want for doing less work is insane. It's economically illiterate. Well, I think there's something else involved in that, and that is the 32-hour work week, the four-day work week. And we're seeing a big push on this, not just to the UAW, but we're seeing a big push on this in multiple different places. They're doing it in the schools. There's a lot of schools that are pushing for a four-day work week. And then what that does is that puts pressure on the parents to push for a four-day work week because that's the point sure. of the government schools for the most for most people. They use them as daycare, as childcare. Uh, not a, they don't care if they educate the kids. Just get them out of my hair so I can go to work type of thing. And and so that that is they're they're pushing this four-day work week. What do you see behind that push for the four-day work week. I talked about this yesterday. I'm curious to see what your take is on it. Well, my initial reaction is that they're kind of nudging us toward this this state of of infantilism and dependency where you get your uh, UBI uh, via your CBD uh, 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 digital token, provided you're a good, socially obedient little drone. That's exactly my take on it. Yeah, it's a push to move us to universal basic income. Uh, which is going to also involve CBDC. They want us working from home because, you know, if everybody's a Zoom worker, then they can, they don't even have to bring people in from other countries unless they want more social unrest. Uh, but, you know, they could uh, just, uh, you know, have people in India doing the work, uh, even if it's manual labor, if they got a robot that uh, can be virtually controlled. So I, I agree with you. I think that's exactly what this is. Uh, people have been given a taste of, Uh, being given money without having to go to work. And so let's keep that momentum going. You know, Trump kicked that off with a lockdown. So let's keep that going. We'll go to a 32-hour work week. And, of course, you know, maybe we'll pay the people less. Maybe we'll replace them with foreign workers who don't actually have to come here. They can stay foreign. Well, and there's a level of defeatism among the young in particular, and it's quite understandable. I, I wrote an article the other day about what's happening in the real estate market and how even in my area, um, the cost of housing has gotten to the point. And I live in a rural area. I, I should I should uh, predicate that with. So it, it used to be a, an affordable area, but now houses, little houses, little thousand eleven hundred square foot houses are selling for three hundred thousand dollars. And this is an area where the typical individual makes twenty five thousand dollars. The family income is about uh, forty five thousand dollars. People can't afford that. Let alone you know a twenty five year old just coming out of you know college or whatever is just trying to build his life. 
uh, and they end up living at home. They just give up, and so they don't want to have. A, they're not going to have a car. They're not going to have a house. They're going to be rendered perpetually dependent and, and playing games on video station. And so, why not get their you know UBI and just give up on life? And that's what they want ultimately. Yeah, I agree. Now, I think we need to seriously look at defunding the schools because I think that's a big part of this. When I was in Texas, there were entire schools that were basically just people who had come here illegally, and and we look at what is happening in Baltimore. Uh, paying $31,000 a year for the, for the kids. And in 40% of the schools, there's not a single kid who is proficient in math. Mm-hmm. And those standards are not very high. They're very yeah, low basic standards. basic supermarket math, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, 40% of them, not 40% of the schools, not a single student can do supermarket math. And we're paying $31,000 a year for that. That kind of, you know, the, you know, the dreamers coming here, well, it's, it's destroying the American dream. And, and it's an incredible burden on everybody, this government institution of schools. And they're destroying our society at the same time. We've got to somehow find a way to shut that thing down. I think or it's going to really destroy us economically as well as intellectually and spiritually and every other way that you could measure it. The schools are a, a dead albatross around the neck of uh, this country. Absolutely, completely agree with that. But I do think that the wheel is turning and that realization is dawning. To get back to the EV thing, I was reading something about what's happening in Europe, in Germany in particular, uh, and people are not buying these EVs. And Mercedes is uh, extremely worried about their business model going forward, having embraced uh, this electrification agenda. And they're basically saying, well, what are we going to do if people don't buy these things? And that's happening here as well. We, you know, all are aware of what's going on with Ford and the debacle of uh, Jim Farley uh, and his embarrassing attempt to drive a lightning across the country. <laughs> it was an epic fail. Uh, and then uh, Granholm essentially trying to do the same thing. People are cluing into what's going on. You know, at last, finally, it took them a long time, but I do think the wheel is turning. Yeah, that's true. And you know, the the, the garbage thing that Granholm did, the energy secretary. Um, as she uh, decides she's going to take a cross-country drive on the EVs as well. And, you know, it, it may have been to try to highlight, uh, oh, well, we got a problem here, so that means that we need more money and we need more personnel and we need more infrastructure for this particular thing. I think that's what her purpose was. Uh, the, the Ford guy was trying to, you know, show people how it worked. I think her, her purpose was to show people how it's not working. But they've now launched a probe into her because uh, she was <laughs> – faking this thing but of course you know the probes are going to be nothing other than a a dog and pony uh you know show by somebody in congress to be able to criticize her and get their face on tv nothing is ever done about any of this stuff they don't pull any of this stuff back uh they just continue to to go along with what everybody else is is pushing out there it's a bipartisan push and we need to understand that just like in the uk i was talking earlier about how the conservatives are pushing through all these mandates to ban gas furnaces and gas stoves and to rip up the gas lines that are buried in the ground i mean they're destroying every one of these countries is being destroyed by our own governments our own governments are at war with us Mm -hmm. over this climate MacGuffin, just like they were at war with us over the so-called pandemic MacGuffin. Yeah, and the key thing to here is to simply raise the question, why? Why? What are we doing this for? Let's talk about this, this so-called climate crisis, which you know, I like to harp on the fact that they had to change the verbiage. They have to change the verbiage every so often because it becomes impossible to continue to maintain the narrative. You know, initially they would talk about global warming, but, well, the records and the data didn't bear that out. You know, so they had to shift it around to this climate change, which can encompass anything. And now, instead of talking about carbon dioxide, they're talking about carbon to try and 
flimflam people into equating it with something dirty like graphene, you know, mm-hmm. graphite. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's so fundamentally oily. And you get back to this whole business of the schools and the innumeracy. You know, you ask somebody, well, okay, you want to talk about the climate crisis. What's the percentage of the Earth's atmosphere that's carbon dioxide right now? Mm-hmm. And invariably, they have no idea. And when you tell them it's 0.04%, <laughs> you know, and then they look at you. And then and you say, okay, so you're telling me that some sort of a, a, a fractional increase or decrease of that amount is going to have some kind of a, a, a crisis level effect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Given the headlights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that does not compute. There was a, another piece I just saw, you know, there's about 16, 1700 scientists who got together and said, this is fake. Uh, but one of the things that they said, and again, you know, that doesn't make it true or false because you got a large number of people or because you got Nobel Prize winners or whatever. You had a large number of people and you had several of them that were Nobel Prize winners. But the key point was one thing that a guy said, which is just as important as the minuscule amount of carbon dioxide. And he said, uh, we're being told by the IPCC from the UN, you know, the uh, Inter, um, International Panel on Climate Change or something like that. Uh, and, and they're the ones pushing this stuff for the UN. He said, we're being told that there's a difference in man-made versus natural carbon dioxide. And he goes, please explain to me, um, how, you know, when you've got one atom of carbon and two of oxygen, how there's any difference in that. But they're saying that if it's man-made, it's going to be different because it's going to last for hundreds or thousands of years. Whereas with a uh, natural stuff, it, it precipitates out in like three years, but the man-made stuff is going to be there forever and it's going to continue to accumulate. And they said, this is utter nonsense. It's totally devoid. We're living of in idiocracy. We are. We're living in idiocracy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all this furry stuff and, you know, the... <laughs> Uh, the transgender stuff and everything is how they get people there. You know, everything has got to be subjective. And, and they're pushing that subjectivity that two plus two equals five. Uh, that's probably one of the questions on that math test in Baltimore. <laughs> but, you know, it's not even idiocy. It's idiocy with a purpose, and it's an evil purpose. Yes. Uh, they have deliberately dumbed down the populace so that the populace is vulnerable and susceptible to the kind of propaganda that they're peddling and the hysterics that they're peddling. Uh, and it, this is all being done not to save the earth or, uh, or the environment, any of that stuff. Uh, it is about establishing this hierarchical system of control with a technocratic managerial elite at the very apex of the, of the pyramid and the rest of us living a very impoverished and surfed lifestyle where we're not allowed to do anything without permission. Uh, and we're very grateful if we've got Z-bugs to eat, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, exactly it. Let's talk about something that is nostalgic and, and kind of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got an article here, Pontiac is racist, and earlier in the program uh, I, I had a yeah. thing about uh, – uh, th- this guy who's giving up on, on being a trucker, he's just so frustrated with all the regulations and everything there. But I introduced it with the eastbound and down so people could see the yeah. Trans Am there. And I said, yeah, Eric's got one of those. And one of the yeah. one of the listeners said, yeah, that's the only good trans out there is the Trans Am. Uh, yeah. Talk about Pontiac being racist. <laughs> well, any, any iconography associated with uh, Native Americans, American Indians, somehow has become racist. We're all familiar with the way the Washington Redskins had to change their name first to the Washington football team, uh, and now the Washington Commanders, even though they should be the, wa- the Washington Pilferers or some other such thing like that. Uh, but, and and they, you know, it's all being pushed by these, these neurotic, woke, left people. It's not, it's not being pushed by the American Indians themselves who loved the Redskins because of the positive associations that were conjured by the, you know, the image of the noble warrior uh, going out to fight on the field. And the same with Pontiac. It wasn't as though it was some kind of a, uh, an Amos and Andy routine. You know, they, they used the iconography of Chief Pontiac, who was a figure from the French and Indian War, 
to uh, to be the face, if you will, of Pontiac as a brand, to to conjure the the, the noble chief, you know, mm-hmm. leading the way, mm-hmm. and and it was wonderful, and people liked it, and it's just a very sad thing, and it's a good thing that Pontiac, I guess, was put out of its misery. Uh, you know, back in when, 2000, uh, I'm trying to remember, I can't remember exactly, but it's been about 10 years since Pontiac got retired. Because mm-hmm. uh, if they were still around today, I'm sure that there would be some woke left mob demanding that they change their name to some other thing because somebody is outraged and offended by the use of the term and the image. Well, it's interesting. You have the, the background of, of Chief Pontiac, which I didn't know, you know, mm-hmm. but it's very much like you mentioned the French and Indian War, uh, very much like... Um, Last of the Mohicans, you know, James Fenimore Cooper, mm-hmm. uh, they could have called it uh, the Chigunchuk. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, that would have been a bit of a tongue twister. Uh, but Pontiac was there. He was um, an Indian chief in the uh, Detroit area. Fort Detroit was uh, where he mm-hmm. was. And so that was a natural uh, uh, sequitur there for people with um, there in Michigan to name it after this um, highly regarded uh, Indian chief leader, you know, military leader, mm-hmm. who had been allied with the U.S. But I guess that makes him evil as well, right? He was allied Apparently with... Apparently <laughs> so. But, it, you know, you had these really cool uh, things associated with Pontiac, the car brand. You know, in, in the 30s and the 40s, they had the glowing chief hood ornament uh, that was highly stylized and led the way. And then you had the famous arrowhead and all these other things that were as a matter of uh, fact that were let me let me interject here because i've got a picture of the head uh the the pontiac um, uh mm-hmm. head that and and i when i saw your article it made me think about my grandfather's car he had one of these uh, pontiac chieftains or something like that the only thing mm-hmm. i remember about the car was this hood ornament that has this uh, like amber head of uh, the the Indian, you know, Pontiac. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the coolest thing because I was maybe about four or five years old, mm-hmm. and it was the only thing I ever remember. But I never forgot that. I got a couple of different pictures of it. It's such a cool thing, and it had a lot of chrome holding, supporting this head. But then the head was projecting out. Uh, this is the way the car looks. The car was not all that great, but uh, the, that Indian uh, head that was there was really impressive, and I never forgot that. When I saw this no, article about Pontiac, it's like, yes, I got to. Get that a picture of that dad. Yeah, yeah, it's things like that that created this emotional bond between people and their cars. I, yeah. I, my, one of my earliest memories uh, of, of cars is uh, looking underneath the hood of my parents' uh, Oldsmobile 98 that they had back in the 70s. And I looked at this gigantic air cleaner and it said Rocket 80, you know, Rocket uh, 455 on it. And I remember that to this day. Mm-hmm. And that was like the first thing I thought, wow, that's really neat. And I wanted to see what was under the air cleaner. And, you know, look, fast forward, here I am today. <laughs> well, they would even make the taillights and stuff on like, on the Thunderbirds, they make them look like they were rocket turbines or something. No, yeah. you could just imagine it coming out of the back. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. They they tried all kinds of things in terms of styling. Some of them worked. Some of them didn't. You know, some of them look really comical in in retrospect, but some of them still look really cool in retrospect when you look at it. But it goes beyond we that. Had, you know, yeah. Go ahead. We had this tremendous variety, which you can see if you go to an old car show today. Mm-hmm. You know, lines and lines of cars, each one profoundly different from the one that's sitting next to it. And and that's a measure of what we lost. You know, people complain now about how everything looks the same. And I've got this great graphic of, uh, of uh, uh, I guess, about a dozen different new crossover SUVs of various brands. They're all white, and they all look exactly the same. <laughs> well, I mean, and it's true, but you know, it's going to be even worse than that to get back to what we were talking about earlier, when not only do they look the same, but they literally are the same, and they just have the same electric drivetrains, 
uh, with that, that, that basically homogenized uh, plastic extruded body draped over them with a different badge. Oh, you can pick whatever color you like, maybe. You won't have to get white. You could get a silver one if you like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's what we have become now. And I, I've, I've joked about that. You know, it is interesting that, uh, you know, we used to have cars of all different types of colors. Uh, now everything is black, white, shades of gray with an occasional red. That's basic, basically what you see. I've, they've got some retro uh, Dodge Chargers and stuff that are, you know, orange or green or purple or something like that. But for the most part, it's all, uh, you know, shades of gray and uh, an occasional red car that's there. I used to joke, I joked with the kids. I said, yeah, back when I was growing up, uh, TV was black and white, but the cars are Technicolor. And ask. <laughs> It's yeah, yeah. The other way around, it's, you know? it's very Soviet. And I found out something yeah. interesting, by the way, because I've noticed it, you know, you've noticed it, so many other people have noticed it, and I got to wondering why. And in the course of doing a little bit of research about the cars I review, I discovered that they are now charging a lot of money for uh, other colors than silver, black, and white. Mm. You know, mm. like, like 700 to $1,200 to get something other than that in a lot of cases. And so that's why you see so many cars that are silver, white, and black. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense that if they're going to make it um, uh, something's part of that. But before we get away from the Indians and everything, mm-hmm. I, I like what you had to say. You know, you said uh, as they purged the Redskins, you say in your article, as if fans of the Redskins were mocking American Indians when they cheered for the Redskins. Of course, they're not. They're seeing them as cool, you know, like the Vikings or whatever, yeah. or Raiders or Pirates or whatever. They're not mocking them. Uh, you know, and you say most American Indians understood the Redskin name and image were meant to honor the bravery and the spirit of the American Indian warriors in battle. And the Redskins, mm-hmm. like any other professional football team, played to win. They didn't play to mock. And that's the key yep. thing, right? And that's it's what totally is so true. makes it so incredibly stupid about all this stuff. And yet you see now with um, Taylor Swift and this football player that she's dating – I saw an article because every site that I go to, they've got something about Taylor Swift and the football player. And, um, and so one, one of the articles that came up, somebody was saying, well, maybe um, Taylor Swift can use her influence to get them to stop doing the tomahawk chop. It's like, <laughs> why? Why would you want to stop the tomahawk chop in the first place? <laughs> This is all part and parcel of this effort to just suck the joy out of life completely. We're all supposed to be basically don the proverbial Jesuitical hair shirt and flagellate ourselves for existing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I remember when I was growing up, uh, you know, we had neighborhood schools. They were all close together. And the junior high school, the the mascot was a warrior, right? So it's like the warriors. and, and, And then when you go to the high school, which is just a couple of blocks down, uh, that was the chiefs. And, uh, that was, you know, something that was, uh, had big Indian chief head that was on the outside of the school, mm-hmm. uh, there in Tampa is uh, Chamberlain high school. And, um, even the liberal Democrat mayor, uh, was pushing back on, she went to Chamberlain and she was pushing back on, she said, you know, they're going to spend like a hundred thousand dollars to take this thing down and put some other mascot up there. She goes, but leave it alone. You know, it was fine. And she's a, you know, a Democrat. Uh, liberal, hard left liberal, but you know, you had, you went from being a, a warrior up to a, a chief. And of course in, in the band, they had, uh, uh, the girls that were dancers, they all had these big, uh, chieftain headdresses and stuff. They called them chief mm-hmm. heads. And then that we had drum majors that were not dressed up in military uniform, but they were, uh, oh, people would have a fit about this. They, um, 
uh, were shirtless. And before the game, they would rub them down with this stuff called Texas dirt. So they had red skins and then they would put war paint over them and they had a headdress that went all the way down to the ground. <laughs> and then they would run oh, around humanity. Oh yeah. I mean, it would, it would be like blackface today. You know I mean? They would flip out if they saw this, but it was great. You know, we had the coolest drum majors of any of the schools sure. that were there. Um, had a couple of times, uh, one time I stabbed one of the uh, bass drums because they'd run and swoop, <laughs> but, uh, the, with a spear, cause he had a spear, but, um, it was, it was a lot of fun. And then from that, you know, you go from junior high school warriors to the Chamberlain chiefs. And then you would go, a lot of them went to FSU, which were the Seminoles. And mm-hmm. they tried to change that mascot, and the, the Seminole tribe there in Florida said, no, don't do that. We like that, you know? It wasn't sure. just a generic redskin. It was a specific Indian tribe, and they really liked it. They were honored by that. They got it. They understood it. Yeah, the thing to understand here is these people uh, will never be satisfied, and they're not really aggrieved. This is all just a cavalcade of convenience. That's right. Uh, you placate them with one uh, uh, we'll defer to you on this. Okay, we'll take down our mascot. We'll change our name. It's never enough. There's always something else because the whole point of this is to maintain this ongoing sense of aggrievement that, that somebody has been wronged, that somebody's been victimized, and you owe us something because you did this. That's right. Yeah, and, and it's, uh, it's very much like if you do their, their pronouns, uh, they're going to come back at you with something else you know, because it's, it's not about any of that stuff. It's about you submitting to them. And so if you submit to their, pro, uh, their pronouns, then the next thing they're going to have you submitting to the furries or whatever other crazy mm-hmm. thing they come up with. It's about your submission, and it will always be something else. And as always, pushing us further and further away from reality because that's really the, the key thing for them. Uh, you know, if you don't know anything, and if you live in this fantasy world, uh, then you're going to be very easily controlled in a virtual reality or with video games or with drugs or with sex or whatever it is that they want to throw at you. And actually, Yuval Harari has actually taunted people by saying that quiet part out loud. He said, yeah, yes, we're, exactly. we're going to control people with drugs and virtual reality and video games and all the rest of this stuff. Well, they're already doing it. Yeah. You, know, you look at you look at teenagers, uh, and what are, what are they looking at? Invariably, they're pecking at that stupid phone. Mm-hmm. Even when they get together, you watch them, you know, a group of them, instead of them talking to each other, they're all sitting there at the same physical place, but each of them is occupied pecking at their individual phone. That's right. Yeah, I, I think it's funny, too, as you go through the different models, you know, in terms of thinking about what they have picked up with this stuff. Uh, the Oldsmobile Cutlass. Now, there's the mm-hmm. pirate thing, you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, you, I guess, uh, you know, they've, they've now got literal pirates now in Oakland. You know, they had the Oakland Raiders, but uh, now they've got literal pirate pirates who are attacking people in their boats and stealing everything they can and sinking the rest of it. And the police and the say, well, we don't know. That's not our jurisdiction. We can't do anything about it. It's like pass the buck on stuff like that. Sure. It's, yeah. it's a clown show, and it's time it for us to pull a curtain on it and say enough is enough uh, on so many levels. You know, for example, we, we, we've gotten to where we are with regard to cars to a great extent because we accepted the premise that, you know, there's a pollution problem, there's an emissions problem, and that's, that was true at one time. It's not true anymore, mm-hmm. and I think the way to solve this problem is to demand cost-benefit analysis and to say, look, it's one thing to say a car... Uh, it needs to have um, an exhaust scrubber, a catalytic converter that maybe it adds $300 to the price of the car, but it reduces the harmful pollutions by, by 50%, really 50%, not mm-hmm. 50% of 1%, uh, as opposed to some new thing that they're going to have to do to a vehicle to achieve a, a less, than, less than half a percent difference change in some 
so-called emission uh, at a cost of fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars. It's absurd. Mm-hmm. You, know, you should be. You should. You, the government, if it's going to have these regulations, ought to be obliged to establish and prove that. Look, first of all, here's the problem. Secondly, what we're proposing is going to meaningfully. Uh, improve or ameliorate that problem uh, at a reasonable cost. And if not, it shouldn't happen. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I can attest to the fact that, uh, you know, I, I was driving a convertible back in the 1970s and had a little Spitfire. And, um, you know, it, it was not an uncommon thing at all. It was actually, you know, half of the cars you'd get behind them. And it's like, whoa, you know, there's just mm-hmm. dense exhaust coming from them. I still drive convertibles and um, my convertible and, and, uh, and I, that never happens anymore. I never smell anybody's exhaust. It, it is a non-problem. And, um, you know, they're just uh, they're grasping at straws. And, and it's just the metastasizing bureaucracy trying to control and destroy everything. That's really what we're seeing here. Um, yeah, you know, well, they could never concede that mission accomplished, right? That's right. You know, the EPA's been around now for about 50 years. And if they were to say, well, you know, we did a really good job, uh, 99 point something, and that's actually the number, 99 point something percent of what comes out of the exhaust pipe of a new car is uh, water vapor and carbon dioxide, neither of which have any effect on the environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, our mission is accomplished. We don't need to worry about this stuff anymore. They'll never do that, because yeah. think how many people are earning their, live, their livelihood that way. How many lobbyists are involved? Uh, how many, you know, just ripple effects throughout the economy, how many bucks are being made off of these scams. Mm-hmm. So instead of acknowledging that they fixed the problem, they have to magnify the problem to justify uh, not only what they're doing, but what they want to do in the future. Yes. And, and of course, you know, and I would stress, too, that that's especially true of diesels as well. Uh, I, there mm-hmm. aren't any diesel cars that, that you smell anymore either. Um, they, they have uh, taken care of that. Of course, you know, they're taking care for the most part of getting rid of the diesels, but you know, they are still yeah. out there and you don't smell anything from them either. Uh, they're running perfectly clean. They've gone through an incredible amount of expense to uh, clean that up, uh, but it is clean. And, and so these are problems that are not problems. And the EPA, which was originally set up to, uh, uh, you know, to protect the environment and everything, they're just looking for whatever they can do. Now they're shutting down power plants based on emissions uh, that you can't uh, tell anything about. You know, you drive by these power plants, you're not going to smell anything. You're not going to see smoke coming out of them. They're clean. They're not like the ones in China and India, which they care absolutely nothing about. They never cared about it yep. in the Paris Climate Accord in 2015. They said, build as many of these as you want. We don't care how dirty they are. Well, if you're talking about a global problem, then you would care about that. And some of the true believers did care about that at the time. But they don't care about any of that stuff. They just want to shut everything down. Uh, and and it just amazes me that um, so many people cannot see that that is really the true agenda, just to destroy our lives. Um, before we leave the Pontiac thing, though, Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned also the Firebird uh, being a, yes. an American Indian mythological figure. Of course, you've got the Firebird and you've got that that uh, figure yep. there. But I, I just, you know, as you're talking about all this other stuff, it's like, yeah, I really hadn't thought about how many different ways Pontiac had tied in uh, the um, Indian uh, culture into their cars and in a very positive way. You know, everybody liked that. Yes. And they made some of the most, uh, you know, iconic cars. Uh, in the history of the automobile, you know, one of the most obvious ones being the very first muscle car, which was the 1964 Pontiac GTO. There had been fast cars before that, uh, but there had not been fast, inexpensive cars. You know, mm-hmm. the genius of John DeLorean, who ran the company back then, was to take uh, basically an economy car. It was the Tempest, uh, and and put the big engine from the Bonneville into the Tempest and sell it for cheap. 
So mm-hmm. now you didn't have to be a rich old man to have a fast car. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, the thing just sold like, you know, like, like pancakes and boom, everybody else wanted to have one too. And so you had this great muscle car craze. And then, of course, the government shut that down. But Pontiac still persevered, you know, through the 70s. The Trans Am and the Firebird was one of the most popular cars on the road. Of course, government managed to kill that off too by forcing Pontiac to stop building its own engines. So the Trans Am just became basically a reskinned Camaro, and it lingered on for a few more years. But it eventually died, and along with it, so did Pontiac. Yeah, yeah. You even mentioned the uh, uh, the Shaker Scoop. I remember those things. I remember that that in um, in those cars as well as in um, uh, Mustangs. That was a lot of fun. You know, big hole in the. Uh, and the hood and the and a big uh, scoop coming up to it that you saw the vibration of the Indian uh, of the engine in it. It was, uh, yeah. Oh, even better. Mine's got a flapper door, so it's vacuum vacuum actuated. So as you get on the gas, that door just kind of cantilevers open, and you know <laughs> then then you hear the the, the quadrajet secondaries opening up, and it's just the best thing ever. Oh, that's great. That's really good. Yeah, um, you know when we look at this, um, uh, the uh, they just keep moving this uh, this forward um and um i I guess the question is you know what are we going to do i guess we've got to uh we've got some really good hardware that's out there and cars and i think really the business of the future is going to be people who can do repair and people who can make the auto parts you know kind of like jay leno has i think going to see repurposing of some of the uh, 3d printers and things like that perhaps i don't know Uh, but then again uh, the next part of that is going to be how do we get the fuel uh, are we going to ha- be able to have uh, micro refineries? I'd like to see that. We got micro breweries, and we got uh, here in Tennessee. They made it legal for people to have uh, like moonshine type places. That's really taken over uh, the uh, tourist areas around here. Uh, what we need is to make it legal for people to do their own fuel because <laughs> they're Absolutely. not going to build any sure. more refineries at all. You know. Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not a big fan of uh, ethanol when it's being forced on us in the you know the form of the ethanol mandates. Mm-hmm. However. Uh, you know, you can make alcohol out of corn and, and, and other such things, and you can easily convert um, an engine that was designed to run on gasoline to run on alcohol. So that may be something we're going to have to learn to deal with, too, in the future. Yeah, yeah. Instead of a, a still up in the mountains for uh, moonshine, you have it for, mm-hmm. <laughs> for fuel for your car. You know? so, and all those things tied together, you know, all the bootleg um, NASCAR drivers that cut their teeth on uh, running uh, uh, alcohol. Maybe they'll do it in terms of running fuel. Who knows what will happen? you got an op-ed uh, piece here, Why I'm a Libertarian. You know, I, yeah. I, I think it's kind of interesting to uh, look at this, especially in light of the fact that you had uh, RFK Jr. make some overtures to the Libertarian Party, and some of the people there at the party talked about that as well. Uh, Dennis Kucinich said, no, 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 he's not going to run as a third-party candidate. He's going to run as a Democrat. Um, I, I think that's kind of interesting. What do you think um, – in terms of RFK Jr., I haven't been involved in the Libertarian Party for about 25, 30 years. And, um, you know, I know that when I was there, uh, you know, they had um, the, the leadership uh, was open to anybody. And, you know, they would like to see somebody that was very popular and famous come in because uh, they wanted to get the vote totals. But when I was there, um, the people <laughs> in the party... Uh, they would be very, very factious and doctrinaire. And yep. uh, if somebody was not towing the line exactly, it's like, no way you're going to get this uh, nomination. I, I don't really see that happening from that standpoint, even if he wanted to do it. What do you think? Well, let's see. Uh, RFK's, uh, first of all, not a libertarian, but then right. neither is the Libertarian Party at this That's point right. anymore. That's right. However, I will say this about, uh, about RFK Jr. I think he's not a psychopath. And, mm-hmm. you know, 
that carries a lot of weight with me. And I look at you know the Orange Man and his pathological narcissism, and I, I look at uh, that thing that wanders around in front of the teleprompter in D.C. who's even worse. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, you know, at, at the, bar, the bar is now so low. Uh, I would just like somebody <laughs> who isn't completely out of their mind with evil, and who who actually speaks in complete sentences and can be reasoned with. And so I you know I don't have an issue with RFK. In fact, when I was when I was out running earlier today, I thought to myself, you know, we really great is if RFK and and uh, and Orange Man got together and decided that they would each run as an independent and thereby cut out the Republicans and the Democrats, and then we could end the whole sham in a really public way. Oh, that would be good. Can you imagine? Yeah. yeah, yeah, because it's those political parties that are so corrupt, and you certainly see that with RFK Jr., uh, the way that they play with the rules and, uh, you know, well, um, you know, we're going to uh, uh, set the order this year so that it helps our feeble uh, candidate out front, uh, Biden and all the rest of this stuff. And and if you campaign in some of these areas uh, early on, then we're going to take all your votes away from you. Uh, crazy stuff like that. But Trump is doing the same type of thing. Trump is going yeah. uh, his organization is going into uh, various um, uh, states and saying, it's going to be a winner take all. So if he comes out with, uh, you know, 50 and a half percent, he will get all the delegates instead of a proportionally uh, added. So that mm-hmm. will make him uh, get past the post faster than anybody else. And of course, they can do this because the parties are making the rules. Uh, the parties decide who's going to really to run and the parties decide who's going to get into debates and the parties decide who's going to get on the ballots and all the rest of the stuff. It's one of the reasons why we have no real choices in this because of these corrupt political parties that are controlling everything. Well, sure. And on, you know, either depending, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about the Democrats or the Republicans, these as institutions, they're, uh, they're antithetical to people like Trump, who uh, is not one of the, uh, you know, the good old boys inside the club. And they're antithetical to RFK, you know, the arrogance of these people on the left, who constantly lecture us about our democracy, and they won't even put the, the senile old pedophile in the same room with RFK to have a debate. Mm-hmm. So much mm-hmm. for our democracy, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, yeah, the, they, the two of them, uh, the two guys who've been president do not want to run on the record. That should tell us everything we need to know about this. But you mentioned earlier, you know, you said, yeah, the libertarians are not even libertarian, the ones that yeah. are on the top of the ballot. And I, it was one thing that just absolutely amazed me in 2020 was the fact that the libertarian candidate, Joe Jorgensen, was out there. She didn't care at all about the lockdowns and the masks and the closures. That was not even an issue to her. And it really was an issue to most of the libertarians that were running. Uh, It was, uh, there was one guy, uh, uh, I think his first name was Donald, but Rainwater was his name. He was in Indiana. And uh, he started talking, uh, pushing back against all this stuff. And he shot up into double digits. And so I tried to interview him. And uh, he's like, no, no, I don't want to do any interviews (laughs) It's almost like I yeah. scared him because he was getting up high. I, I've subsequently, since I had this program within the, this last year, uh, I interviewed him because he's running for something. And he's a very smart guy. And he's very libertarian. Uh, but, you know, there's I, I don't know if now he's um, uh, gotten over the fear that he might get elected. <laughs> you know, well, you know, I don't understand how you can be a libertarian without – uh, accepting as your foundational principle, leaving other people alone, period, yeah. as, you know, as, as a general idea. It's kind of like claiming that you're a Christian without believing in Jesus. It's mm-hmm. just absurd. Call yourself something else yeah. instead of pretending to be what you're not. That's right. Yeah. And, um, you know, she still got over 1%, which I remember when I was involved in it, that was everybody was very excited that there had been, uh, I think it was Ed Clark who got 1% in 1980 or something. And so that had mm-hmm. been the benchmark. Uh, even Ron Paul, when he ran as a libertarian, 
uh, only got about um, you know four hundred thousand votes or something like that. And, and so you know the the people are getting uh, are, are more and more open to a third party. It's just that the ballots are closed to third parties. Yeah. And the Libertarian Party is about the only party that that has the ability to get on the ballots because that's what they have been focused on, and and that's almost exclusively focused on getting on the ballot. And they've been pretty successful at it, but they haven't been successful at anything else other than getting on the ballot because it's such a Herculean effort. And no other third party can even come close to getting on the ballot in, in a number of places. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I, I tend not to look at this as, as something that, that ought to be pursued politically. I look at this as, as more something that ought to be pursued intellectually, philosophically, and morally. If we could get enough people to accept the idea, hey, you own you, I own me, let's agree to deal with each other voluntarily and peacefully, let's not take each other's stuff, let's not try to force other people to do what we want them to do, let's live and let live. If we could get back to that idea, which is a very Christian idea, by the way, mm-hmm. if you get back to that, uh, I think that the political stuff would solve itself. Yes. I, I, yesterday, I talked to um, Connor Boyack, who is the the guy who put together the Tuttle Twins, and and those books are focused mainly on economics and politics from a libertarian perspective. You know, taking apart mm-hmm. socialism and everything for, as he put it, for young elementary school kids and politicians of that mentality. You know? mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, and so, and one of the first things that he said, and I absolutely hundred percent agree with it. He said we focus everything on the presidential race, and we talk about that. There are some, you know, hopefully there's some issues that present themselves because of that. But he said that's the area where we can have the least effect. And so what he's done, besides his uh, books, he's also got uh, a, um, uh, an organization there in the state that works on state-level issues. And he's been able to uh, get uh, more than 100 laws passed there in the state of Utah that actually increase freedom and free markets and things like that. Uh, where he says, you know, when he's worked with uh, Mike Lee to get Mike Lee elected, and he said, he's, you know, he said, I'm not saying that he's doing a bad job. It's just that you can't get really get anything done by getting uh, one senator elected. And you really can't get anything done by getting a president elected. And neither the people in Congress nor the president really want to go, uh, you know, throw themselves on the barbed wire and take the the hits for this stuff and get it done. They all want to push this stuff off to the bureaucracy, which is how we got into the situation where the bureaucracy and the judiciary are controlling everything. They don't want to take any responsibility for anything. So they're more than happy to abdicate that power to somebody else. Well, sure, and we've got this more fundamental problem, too, of people uh, thinking that it's okay to vote for or support a politician uh, to get the government to use its power, its force, to do things that would be criminal if they did them themselves. Yes, yes, that is exactly the point, yep. Uh, And um, uh, there was an interesting thing in terms of talking about that. uh, Reason had an interesting take on uh you know trump went to south carolina and somebody presented him with a pistol that had his face carved on the handle oh i love this mm-hmm. yeah everybody loves it. i gotta buy this and then his uh, campaign manager said he did buy it and then people said well he's not allowed to buy it because he's been indicted for felonies and that's a prohibition and uh so they go through all this whole thing reason had a good take on it reason said well you know if you stop and think about this that's essentially the same law that Hunter Biden is being accused of, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because you got to say, I'm not uh, um, even indicted for a felony. I'm not a convict and I'm not indicted. You have to also say, I'm not a drug addict and I'm not a user of drugs. And mm-hmm. so, you know, so, but, and their point was that a lot of people will excuse it 
for the guy that they like. The Democrats will excuse exactly. this for Hunter, and the Republicans will excuse it for Trump and say he shouldn't be punished for any of this stuff. And yet the reality is, is that, uh, you know, the law itself is wrong and the ATF itself is wrong. You shouldn't have people for nonviolent stuff not be able to uh, own a gun or purchase a gun legally. Uh, that law in and of itself is wrong, and yet people will not come together to oppose that from both sides of the political spectrum. Instead, they'll use it as a weapon against the other guy on the other side. Yeah, and that's a moral failing, and you mm -hmm. know, it leads you to be vulnerable. Essentially, this is why we have this sort of given this hyena tug over a piece of meat at, a, at every election, because you're voting in the hope that, A, you'll be able to use the government to force your neighbor to do what you want him to do, and also uh, so that he won't get the power to do the same to you in return. That's an yeah. awful way to have to live your life. It is. It really is. And, and you know, like I've said uh, many times when I was trying to explain uh, libertarianism to people, I would say, well, freedom is one thing you can't have unless you give it to other people. You know, and it's kind of like, you know, uh, the golden rule or whatever. There's all these different ways that you can try to explain it. But today, the, the society has become so polarized. And that's the thing. The big issue that I have with Trump is that they've become polarized over him. He's such a polarizing figure that they're making him a Mason-Dixon line of a new civil war. And that's my real concern about all this stuff. And it's why, you know, when you look at these, all these indictments, obviously they're going way over the top on, on him while they let other things go. But we've seen this with the people that he incited, that indiced and, and, and uh, told to come January the 6th and then abandoned them and, and left them twisting in the wind. You know, these people have, um, uh, have been given extreme punishments uh, that are way beyond anything that... Uh, is justified by anything that happened. And Joe Biggs, who I used to work with, 17 years in prison, and he didn't get violent with anybody. This is absolutely insane, and this is the way they've weaponized this system, and they really are trying to push us into a civil war, I think. Yeah, well, and they're getting it closer and closer all the time. You know, I, I, yes. I thought it was noteworthy, uh, as we're having these, these uh, impeachment inquiries in the House, there's virtually no coverage of it on any of yes. the major networks, That's you know, right. as opposed to the 24-7 endless harangues that were occurring uh, whenever Adam Schiff would say something about, you know, Russia influence, Russia misinformation with regard to Trump. And what they're doing by doing that is causing people on Trump's side of the aisle to become absolutely enraged and apoplectic about uh, what's happening to their guy. Yes, they want to stoke it up. And, you know, and, and, and Trump is actually... I think happy to see that happen because he raises money off of his uh, sure. off of his indictments. I mean, you know, millions of dollars off of these indictments. Every time another one comes, it's like it's a big fundraising opportunity for him. James Carville with the Democrats, um, when they said they're going to begin impeachment hearings of Biden, he goes, I can't believe our good for how do we get this lucky yeah. that they're going to impeach Biden because he knows it is going to help him as well. And, and you're talking about the way the media is skewing this stuff, um, you know, five million dollar. Uh, bribe for Biden and another, you know how they're going to split this thing up. They've got the emails. They've got this all all this stuff memorialized in terms of FBI documents going back to June of 2020. You know, several months before the election, uh, and so you know, in the House, they're showing that uh, this is memorialized by the FBI. They're showing emails that they got from Hunter Biden's laptop, and yet all I hear from the establishment media is, well, there's nothing there. There's absolutely yeah, nothing. Right. And it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. It was mailed to his house. And Anderson Cooper says, well, that doesn't prove anything. <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Yeah. That's kind of like there was a scene from uh, Working Girl where yep. uh, the, she comes home and she finds her husband in bed with somebody else. And he gets up and he goes, it's not what you think. 
It's like, and that's what these people are doing with Hunter Biden yep. and, and with everything. I mean, it's just beyond the point of absurdity uh, as you see this stuff rolling forward. But it's always great talking to you, Eric. Uh, we didn't get a chance to get into all your prep stuff, but uh, we pretty much run out of time. I got a couple of comments that I need to read before we do run out of time. But thank you so much for joining us again, folks. If you want great commentary, on mobility, which is a foundational thing for liberty, but also liberty, mobility, and he talks about real cars that um, you can still kind of afford. <laughs> you some know, of them. <laughs> yeah, some of them, they're starting to get more and more expensive. But I mean, he's not talking about the hypercars that, that only the uh, gazillionaires will be able to afford. But um, again, uh, Eric Peters autos.com or epautos.com, a great place to uh, get information about one of the key things that keeps us free, and that is our car. Thank you so much, Eric. Appreciate it. Thank you, David. Thank you. Uh, so before we end here, uh, Guard Goldsmith. Thank you, Guard on Rockfin. Thank you for the uh, tip. He says, um, uh, best from New Hampshire, David. You have the finest audience around. I do. we got great people there. Uh, we'll be listening, gathering friends here to prepare for the Monday sentencing of our friend, radio host Ian Freeman, uh, regarding his crypto exchange business. I remember I talked to uh, guard about that um and i need to get you on to talk about that and give us an update as well uh sending prayers and love to him and to your family and all in your great circle of friends yes people need to uh pray about that it, it certainly is a, an abuse of power that is happening there in new hampshire uh, well we're at the end of the week and we're at the end of the month and i just want to thank everybody who has contributed to us uh, I've not updated the gas gauge yet, but um, it hasn't moved that much since we did the uh, matching funds a week ago from uh, Superface, so I do appreciate that. Uh, but I will get that updated if uh, anybody is curious about it. Uh, I'm going to go by um, the uh, post office today. We'll update it with what has come in the mail, as well as uh, what has come in through Zelle in the last week or so. Uh, but thank you so much for your support of this program. We could not do that without you. And have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday, and we'll ride through this thing next Wednesday, October the 4th, <laughs> together. Okay, have a good weekend. Let me tell you, the David Knight Show, you can listen to with your ears. You can even watch it by using your eyes. In fact, if you can hear me, that means you're listening to The David Knight Show right now. Yeah, good job. <laughs> and you want to know something else? You can find all the links to everywhere to watch or listen to the show at thedavidnightshow.com. That's a website.